Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, in Hats on Lamps. It's episode four. Changing it up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's an impulse. Sorry. <laughs> it's episode 48. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, Thanker Patrons, Card of the Week, 7-Win Run Breakdown, our main topic, which will be going over this new draft format, because obviously a new draft format just came out. So we're going to go over our sort of top commons for each color, top uncommons. And then as sort of a new thing, Hats and I independently rated all of the commons and uncommons. And so we're going to have a, discuss- a sort of card-by-card discussion of all the commons and uncommons that we that we disagreed on. So that should be interesting. And then, and that's it. But I think that will be quite a bit of a show. So to begin with, Hats, how was your draft week? Uh, pretty good. Got to play with some new cards, and, and that's always fun. It's, it's weird where there's the this new draft format's going to be in place for for a while, and we're just right here at the beginning of it, and we're talking about it. We don't know anything yet. Uh, but my, my first... I've, I've gotten three drafts in, three and a half, because I have a deck that I haven't played the games for yet. Uh, I won two of those drafts. I went seven wins with them uh, with pretty radically different strategies. One was pretty heavy on the strangers, and then uh, the other one I don't remember anything about. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm still rank one somehow. Uh, there's a lot of great drafters uh, in this game, but uh, I managed to win two drafts since I... I got to that rank, so I'm going to have to start getting unlucky, and someone else is going to have to start working pretty hard to to dethrone me. But I expect that to happen this month because it it regularly does. Um, but I'm having fun with it. the The new cards are interesting, and this draft format seems like it's complex, and there's a lot of weird little internal synergies. Uh, so I think it'll take time to unravel and and solve, as the kids say. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. How was your draft week? My draft week has been pretty, pretty good. You know, uh, unlike last time we've had one of these, um, I actually got to play the 7.9 draft format. Um, so when it was 6.9, I just, (laughs) I, I didn't get to play that sort of preview format at all. So that was kind of interesting to have these new cards in this old format. And I really liked that format. It seemed really wild and crazy yeah and then this new format i've managed to do a draft and then play a few of my games but that's sort of all i'm going on so far and watching you stream i guess so we have that exact same experience it's really interesting i think we're obviously going to talk further about this but it's there's there does seem to be a lot going on and for me i don't know this draft format feels like i haven't quite figured out if it's complicated or confused Uh (laughs) there's just so many different moving parts and weird synergies and like not knowing whether i should take cards or whether they're good or not and and it's hard to know even how to evaluate cards because there's so many things sort of informing its value 
that's always going to be true at the beginning of a new format to some degree. But I do think this one is shaking things up enough from the last format that we have to to look at some of our card valuations a little a little bit differently. Like yeah. the power level, the power level has shifted. And uh, I, I think there's some discussion about whether it's shifted up or down, which is interesting. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that this is a much more powerful draft format. And I think some people think it might have might not be. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to tell who's right at this point. Yeah, it was interesting because when the new cards came, like the new preview cards that they gave us for 7.9 made the set eight cards seem and feel really powerful but then (laughs) when i went through to review every single card i was like man there's a lot of stinkers (laughs) in this and we're we're probably going to talk about this later too but like some of the colors it was hard to pick to find like a third good common yeah, yeah. Um, in one case it was hard to find a second good common (laughs) but not in the faction that you would expect So there's, like, these weird things, and then, like, and I don't know if it's just, like, the strangers are, like, really confusing me, but the fact that the strangers are, you know, work for both sides, it's, if you have a powerful stranger, it's, like, this weird thing where you're, like, oh, this is a powerful card. That usually means you should play the card. But with the stranger, you're, like, oh, this is a really powerful stranger, but I only have one other stranger, do I play this card? Do I not play this card? I don't really know because I'm like, if I play this card and my opponent has three strangers to my one, I feel like I'm getting screwed. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, um, I think that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. And uh, at least in, in my first couple of drafts, I noticed that certain cards that were obviously very strong were getting passed to me quite late. And I think people are actively avoiding those powerful strangers Mm-hmm. Um, so that they don't help out their opponent. And and I think there's a little bit of oversteer going on right now where yeah. people are avoiding clearly good cards that they should probably just be playing. Like, I shouldn't be able to get three Soaring Strangers in one deck because Soaring Stranger is a good card. Yes. But people didn't want to give my Strangers flying, I guess, so they left them in the packs for me to take. And I won a few games with them. Like, anytime I got a Soaring Stranger on the field, like, even if it just threw two of my two two Strangers into the air... That was still very powerful. There definitely are going to be situations where your opponent has a stronger stranger presence and you're going to have something like a determined stranger in your hand and you're not going to want to play it. But I think those circumstances are going to be so much more rare than the circumstances where you have uh, more strangers or about an equal number of strangers on the board um, as your opponent and you just want to be playing those uncommon strangers that boost everything. Uh, but you do have to treat the strangers like the ones that give boosts as synergy cards now and not just like a card that's powerful on its own. You do want to have enough of those 2-2 strangers that give influence so that you get the benefit from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be decks where you don't have that many of those strangers, although I think it's actually going to be pretty common where you have a bunch of those and those are just your two drops. But if you don't have enough of those strangers, it's fairly likely that you'll at least come up against a couple of opponents who do, and then it's going to feel bad to have like just one determined stranger against their their uh, like board of three strangers. Um, but still, I think that's less common than the situations where you're just playing your card and it's a good card and it'll be it'll be good. Um, yeah. I've come up. 
I've, one time I've come up against an opponent who had a bunch of strangers and I had a bunch of strangers and, and they had a bunch of things that made their strangers bigger and I had a couple of those too. So we had like, uh, like the, we had like an army of seven sevens just sort of staring at each other. And what, and what broke it was that I had a magnificent stranger which had an extra point of, of health. And so uh, I, I had the advantage <laughs> in that situation. Just a bunch of giant strangers knocking into each other and trading with each other. And I had the last one standing because it had one extra point of health. Um, that's, <laughs> that's how it went. It's yeah. a, take, take from that anecdote what you will. Yeah, I think the fact that, you know, the fixing strangers are back in means, you know, everyone probably will have strangers. That's, I think, the confusing part of it. I think if the fixing strangers weren't there, then I would think, oh, strangers are just like an archetype. But the fact that I think if you're drafting this format correctly, you probably have a fair number of fixing strangers in your deck. And um, you have to look at how much you're actually helping your opponent. Like if I play a soaring stranger, now I've got a three three flying, and my opponent has a two two stranger. Now that has flying. It's still good that I played a soaring stranger. He can't block yeah. my my three three with it. Um, so th- I don't I don't think there's going to be a, a, quite as many situations where you're helping your opponent. And of course, it's a little bit different than other cards that are double edged because you're directly helping your opponent in some way. Yeah. Uh, but you have to look at how much you're helping them and if that's really worth cutting a good card from your deck to avoid that happening. Then the the other thing that um, that's weird about this format is because the fixing and the fixing. Sh- is so good and there's so many and the fixing strangers are back it's i've so far i am having trouble getting the sense whether i should just be drafting like multicolored good stuff or whether it's correct to draft like the synergies that direwolf is obviously presenting us you know this is a thing that happened in set 6.5 where there's just so much fixing that it almost felt correct to just like draft all the best cards in all the colors and then have a really good deck at the end. But there's so much synergy going on in this, especially the Echoes of Eternity packs that it feels like they don't really want you to do that. But then they give you enough fixing where you can do that. And so I felt a lot of tension, at least in my first draft, between like what I was really trying to do. I think what that means, like, this is still an open question for me, too. I don't really know uh, which strategy is stronger. But I think it means that both of them are probably viable. So Mm -hmm. if you have an approach where you're really sort of looking to go four color or five color right from the beginning and just take the most powerful cards, you'll probably be fine. Um, But also, if you you draft uh, powerful synergistic cards, you'll probably also be fine. and then knowing the cards that will fit into both strategies strategies well is very good. Like like Humbug Swarm is it a good example of a card that's not terrific in a four or five color deck because it's double influence and it costs three. So it's hard to it's hard for a four or five color deck to make sure you can cast it on curve. But it <laughs> goes so well with the synergistic decks, like the decks that are are devoted to flyers 
or sacrificing tokens that it's it's very good that it's a, a a terrific card for that strategy but maybe not so much for the 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 four or five faction control decks um but i don't think that means that the four or five faction control decks are weak because they can't draft humbug swarm it just means that there are cards that go better with different strategies and that's probably healthy for a draft format like if several different strategies are viable that means that things are relatively balanced, maybe. So those are the kind of the things that I'm sort of looking out for as I sort of progress in this format. Yeah. But yeah, so that was my week. <laughs> cool, cool. Your, your week was having questions. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think we'll move on to our, pl- our Patreon plug, which you can find at patreon.com slash farmingeternal. Uh, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to get access to our show notes and recording bloopers and also nudge us towards our different Patreon goals. Um, So we did hit our live show at $50, and um, I think we're going to try to do that next week. We did one little test run earlier this week where we did a co-stream, which was a lot of fun, and I think we'll probably do another test hopefully this week, and then next week I think we're going to be ready for this live show um which will be fun because it's a new format so there'll be a lot of things to talk about and discussions to be had but like i said you can donate to our patreon that'd be really great it helps keep this show going we also like to thank all our patrons so thank you to abinago clinical cynic meagles madness big salty titus and blossom parmalee darth herman 2 twin hex cassandrith Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistow. Thank you again for supporting the show. So, shall we move on to Card of the Week? Yes, let's do that. So, what's your Card of the Week? My Card of the Week is Rectifier. Rectifier is a card in the new set. It's in Echoes of Eternity. Uh, It is a common. It costs three and one-time influence. It is a 2-1, and it says, Summon, you may silence another unit. And it has the ability Corrupted 2, which is a little difficult to explain, but it's a new keyword in set 8. It basically means that when Rectifier dies, it will leave uh, a shade of itself, uh, which is a unit with zero attack power and the same health that the Rectifier has, in this case, 1. And it has uh, the ability to sacrifice itself to use its summon ability again, uh, and silence another unit, and that sacrifice ability will cost two. So Rectifier, I think everyone can agree who has played with or against it, is one of the stronger cards, uh, stronger commons, and also just stronger cards in this new draft format. Uh, silencing things for three and then having the option to silence another thing is very powerful. So we're all going to have to learn how to play this effectively and also play against it effectively because it's surprisingly hard to play against once rectifier is on the field and it's already done its initial damage when a rectifier attacks you have this choice of to take two damage or to block it and let it silence another one of your units which you're often not in a position where you want that to happen um Attacking into a rectifier gives it the gives you the same problem. Uh, shades from the corrupted ability will slowly die. They'll lose one of their health each turn. So rectifier naturally only has one turn uh, to use its ability. 
but it only costs two. So when you attack into it and it dies or trades with something, then um, it's a fairly minor uh, pressure that your opponent is under to use it to silence another one of your units that turn. And uh, it feels devastating a lot of the time when Rectifier gets to silence two of your units. feels very powerful. Um, yeah, and yeah. one of the things that's really tricky with Rectifier is when you attack into it and it blocks and it creates the shade, you know, that since that shade doesn't disappear until the end of your opponent's turn, right? you know, what it can often do is even if you don't have anything on board for it to silence... You have to decide, like, do I want to develop? Because whatever I play is going to get silenced. Yeah, exactly. And that's come up with me a couple times. Is like, do I just stall my, you know, do I stall my development, sort of get time walked for a turn? Or do I play a unit and just accept that it's going to get silenced next turn? Yeah, that that's gonna that's gonna be happening all the time in this format. Uh, so I think making the judgment call of well, if this next unit that I develop gets silenced, am I am I ahead enough in tempo after that attack that it's fine? Because uh, you don't want to just like let rectifier dictify dictify <laughs> let rectifier dictate every one of your attacks. Uh, like if you have like some big like ground beater, like some five four that could be doing five damage every turn, uh, are you just gonna like let it sit there as though it doesn't exist because rectifier might block it and then silence your flyer? Like there's that's that kind of thing is gonna be happening all the time. So rectifier sort of has this soft card advantage going on where it's yes. near existence on the battlefield uh, is is uh, is constricting your opponent's choices. Um, so I think playing against it effectively and without fear will often minimize that sort of soft card advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be a real skill tester. Like a lot of ta- a lot of tactical decisions are going to come down to whether people have played against Rectifier correctly. Yes, and I I don't know yet if it's like too powerful or too oppressive to the format. But I do like that sort of. game or test that it's giving you it's i think it's in that sense it's a really interesting card because when that comes down it's a little unlike grodas favored where sometimes grodas favored comes down and you're like oh well i think i lost the game this is like oh how do i best play around this card it's like very powerful but it it makes you feel like oh i need to like take my game up to another level to really figure out this puzzle. Yeah, yeah, you do at least have a puzzle to solve. Whereas with Grodov's Favored, it's more like, well, now I have a 6-5 to just deal with somehow. <laughs> like, that's not a puzzle. That's like, do I have something on the board that can kill it? No, uh, I guess I lost this one. Or, yeah. yes, I guess we continue. <laughs> Whereas with Rectifier, it's usually a lot more complicated. So, yeah, I'm not. A, I, it's definitely a powerful card. Uh, my early reaction to it was that I kind of hated that it was in the format because it's just it just shuts down practically anything for three power and then leaves that presence on the board that threatens to do even more damage. But I think uh, I, I think it may my games against it haven't been so one sided where it just wrecked it, wrecked me 
as I was expecting at first. Like, I feel like I can kind of deal with it if I play well. So I, I think I'm okay with it if, if that continues to be the case. But it's, I mean, everyone better get used to it because it's going to be, it's going to be a card that you're playing with in your deck and against constantly for the next few months. Speaking of Grodau's favored, I figured I'd do Grodau's favored first. <laughs> What's your card of the week? Yeah, Grodau's so, favored. Yeah, Remember week last week? I, I think Grodau's favored again. Um, so for those of you who may have forgotten since last time I did card of the week, uh, Grodau's favored is a six time six five unit that says silence another unit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I wasn't going to do Grodos Favored, but then um, LV in Discord, um, in the Discord channel, kind of was wondering if Grodos Favored has gotten worse. Because uh, in the Ultimate Troll, Direwolf Digital added Grodos Favored to the draft packs. So it is still in the format. Um, and so I, it, I thought that was kind of an interesting question that, uh, or sort of, an interesting thought that LV thought Grodov's favored was maybe less strong in this format. Um, and, and I, I couldn't really decide whether I thought that was true. And I thought it was good because you did cho- choose rectifier for your card of the week. Yeah. And we can compare of, them. What? <laughs> we can compare them. Yeah, exactly. Sort of the compare and contrast where, you know, rectifier is so good, but, it can't be as good as Grodow's Favored was, right? Uh, I think it might be. I think yeah, it might be in some ways better. <laughs> I know. That's what's really interesting. I, I feel like Grodow's Favored isn't worse. They're just... It's very confused. I'm very confused. It just <laughs> doesn't seem like Rectifier should feel as good as Grodow's Favored does. But it sort of does. But then I feel like if they were head-to-head, I would still pick Grodow's Favored. But I'm not sure if that's correct. Obviously, that can't happen, but... Well, I don't know. I think there's a lot to say about what how good Grodos Favorite actually would be in this format. It's not a boosted common. It's going to show up sometimes, but much less, much, much less than it did in the last format. It, like, Grodos Favorite sort of filled two roles, which was to have a top end in your time deck. Like, you, you, you didn't have to worry about picking up a giant monster to finish the game with. Because you, your removal spell was your monster with Grodov's Favored. Like how good Grodov's Favored is in a format will to some degree depend on your need for giant monsters to finish the game with. I, I think there's not as much of a need for that in this format. And that might be part of why there's a general sense that it's not as good. Um, you can sort of finish the game in a lot of different ways. And... Uh, there's so many flyers, and there and there's so much. There's so many cool things that you can do with synergy that uh, maybe maybe just sort of having this big like sort of hammer of a of a six drop at time doesn't mean quite as much as it did. But at the same time, like I haven't played enough to know if any of anything that I just said is true. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, I'm still going to pick Grodow's Favorite and play it in my decks and probably keep splashing for it uh, when I happen to see it in this format. And I expect it to still be really great. Um, like, if Grodow's Favorite isn't as good, it's still better than all of the other commons, you know? 
Except maybe Rectifier. Except which... maybe Rectifier, because Rectifier is efficient and it gets to silence two things. If it's a, if it's a heads-up pick and it's its first pick for some reason, <laughs> like because you're never going to have to choose between the two of yeah, them. Yeah, in set nine, for example. In set nine, they just reprint both of them because they hate us. Uh, and you have to choose between them. Like, let's say it's the very first pick. I probably take Rectifier uh, because I feel like... Uh, I, I only want a certain amount of that silence effect, and I think I'll probably be able to come up with another big monster to end the game with at the end. So, yeah, I guess Rectifier is better than Grodos' favorite in my mind right now. Yeah, so I just... I didn't really have much to say, because obviously this is not a boosted comment or anything, but it's. I just wanted to point out how sort of interesting what was considered an oppressive card in a different context feels a lot less oppressive, or like Rectifier which I feel like, to me, so far, feels slightly less oppressive, or at least more interesting than Gordas Favored, but at the same time can, in other senses, be just as powerful as Gordas Favored. Just draft and card evaluation is just very interesting. It is. Uh, right now, I'm at, the, I, I'm at the point where I see a rectifier and I take it. You know, um, yes. it's a little bit less splashable than Grodov's favor, just because it is you. You do want to be playing it fairly early most of the time, and Grodov's favored was such a great splash because you would have your your time splash by the time you got up to six power. So in that sense, I guess it's not like just immediately see it and take it, no matter what I'm playing. The same way that Grodov's favored was, but by the end of the format, or even like a week from now, I can imagine it being. Uh, feeling that powerful so we'll, we'll see we'll see where it lands and so we're going to move to seven one seven win run breakdown uh, this is our long-standing data collection project and times like these are the most important at the beginning of the format uh, so we collect people's seven win runs and you can send them into farming eternal at gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel of the farming eternal discord where we accept exported decklists or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we're going to take this information and kind of do some meta, some data analysis and figure out what cards and what factions are doing well. So this is always a great time to sort of submit lists because the more decklists we have, the more interesting things we can figure out from that. And we try to share that in spreadsheets and on this podcast so we really appreciate anyone who takes the time to send in their deck lists and <clears throat> thanks as always to john holio for entering all the lists and all the sheets we have so this past two weeks our new contributors are andrew vj clinical cynic and fast cookie as well as our veteran contributors of agent dynamo allison avgots ben Gracier. Beard Broken, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Colton S, Comet, Darth Herman 2, Dubes, LV, Eric Files, Eric Fills, Fang Warb, Gato Sujo, Gothic Mike, Mike, Hats on Lamps, Iris M, Jedi EJ, Jerome A, Cassandrith, King Neb, Mancio 1982, Mark E, Mercurio Blue, Murder of Crows, Nothership, Parmalee, Patamaru, Probably Red, Raven Dragon, Rofer, Sleffer 13, Spiro, SSJ1997, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Vader, Winter Mute, and Yis Doubt. Thank you again for taking the time to send in your deck list. So now, on to our main topic, which is, uh, I think, will be an overview of this new format. First thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was just uh, some quick broad strokes 
um, especially about the new draft packs. And then we're going to go through our top commons and uncommons to kind of give us some pick orders about what cards we maybe should be seeing as signals and what cards we should be taking early. And then we're going to, like I mentioned, um, and this is sort of also a plug, um, Jed the Homerid, patron and active Discord member and mod, um, is kind of wanted to start a, a crowdsource community draft card review kind of thing. So he's been working on that for a while now, and he wanted to sort of unveil that for this new format. So sort of in conjunction with him, we took his sort of rating system, uh, a, one through a one through 10 system, and we rated all the commons and uncommons. And so Hats and I did separately. And then we compared our score. And so we're gonna go through all the cards where we were two grades off and sort of have a discussion about that. Um, which I think will be kind of interesting because I think a lot of the cards, you know, the cards where we agree on probably we're hoping probably the larger public will also have a similar feeling. And so having a discussion on the cards that maybe are a little trickier to evaluate, I think will be pretty enlightening. The only real thing I wanted to say is, you know, obviously we got the new cards, so we're all figuring those out. Then they totally changed the draft packs, which I guess also changes Expedition. And with these new changes, they've now added multiple boosted ratings. I think that's the big thing to note so far in the draft packs, at least until we get a better sense of how the cards, because there's a lot of cards um, in the draft packs. Yeah, I think uh, I think all of the commons and uncommons and rares can appear at three different boosted ratings, right? At just like so, one times, three times, and six times. Sort of, actually. Sort it's, of? Okay. Yes. So there's, in general, three levels. There's unboosted. There's the first boosted level, which the, like you said, the uncommons, commons, and rares have, which are boosted at three times the rate. Then there's a six times the rate. Then... The uncommon strangers are boosted at 12 times the rate. And there's there's 10 of those. Right. Also, uh, le also, legendaries only occur at one rarity. None of those are boosted. Right. So that's kind of interesting. And I think a little confusing and hard to wrap your head around. But I did a little sort of back of the envelope math here. And what's kind of interesting for this is... Like, you hear these boosted numbers, and you're like, what does that really mean? And so one of the ways to think about this is there's two draft packs. You know, you open pack two and pack three are both draft packs. So 192 commons are being opened because it's 12 packs of eight cards, and there's two of, you know, and you do that twice. And so you obviously don't see the 192 commons, but there are 192 commons. And so what this means is like an unboosted common, you're going to see any individual unboosted common about one in every four drafts, which is pretty rare. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And since you don't actually see all 192 cards, it's actually way less than that because someone before you could have picked it. Okay. Um, then the, the, the X3 boosted cards are about one in every draft. So one of them will be opened in the 192 commons that are opened. 
in every draft. And then the 6x boosted is about 1.7 on average will be opened every draft that you do. Okay. And huh. again, that doesn't mean you're going to see 1.7 of them. Obviously, you can't see 1.7 because if someone else is in time, for example, they might take them before you ever see that time card. But that's about on average any if you look at the list of 6x boosted cards, you're each of them will be opened 1.7 times per draft. This okay. is in comparison in the in the Echoes of Eternity draft. On on average, three copies of any common will be opened every single draft. So it's about half half that rate of the 6x boosted cards will be opened every draft. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So that means that even though these cards have been even though some of the commons in the curated draft packs have been boosted by six, that you're still not that likely to see them. So you shouldn't count on seeing any particular common in the draft packs. Yeah, exactly. You know, the six X boosted, you know, it's 1.7. So, you know, you can, if, if that faction is open, you're probably going to see one, but even then, like you said, it's not guaranteed. Those are those are some good numbers to keep in mind. So, and then in the Echoes of Eternity packs, is it still uh, more or less you'll see around three of any given common, or at least three will have been opened? So maybe you'll see like two of them. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a certain amount of redundancy in the in the draft packs. Like you'll you'll get a certain amount of support for any strategy that you happen to go into, but not being able to count on any particular common, not even a single copy of it, is something that you want to keep in mind going into pack two or three. Like don't mm. draft so that you've got pressure on yourself to come up with something really specific in packs two and three, because chances are uh, that you won't won't see it. <laughs> Yeah, and what's interesting is when you move over to the uncommons, uh, those are obviously a lot rarer because you only see three copies of those. There's only three cards of those in each pack, so 72 uncommons are opened in any given in the draft packs in in every draft. But because the strangers are boosted at 12x, and there's only tw and then there's only 10 uncommon strangers in the boosted cards each of those strangers will on average be opened in every draft so that is i think this the strangers are the uncommon strangers are sort of the most common uncommon that will be open the in the draft packs so that is something to think about it does seem like the strain you know you can feel good that you're you're probably going to see at least one uncommon stranger in the draft packs because okay. of how boosted they are. All right. Well, that's uh, that's also good to know. I mean, that's the sense that I've gotten from drafting strangers a couple of times is that you pretty you pretty consistently will see some support for it in the curated draft packs, but I wasn't sure whether that was due to sheer numbers or people actively avoiding them. Yeah. Yeah, I it's probably a mixture of both, but those yeah. were just yeah, some numbers I wanted to throw out to give you a sense because this is the first time we've had these like multiple boosted ratings and like, what does that mean? And I think it does make it a little complicated. I'm not initially a huge fan of all of these different rarities we now have, but I think it, this maybe incentivizes a lot more than previously, just like 
not sort of metagaming your drafting too much and just like drafting what's in front of you because you really have no idea of what you're going to get nor have no idea of what your opponents <laughs> might be having as far as draft pack cards because it's I, at least i'm not capable of really keeping all of these possibilities in mind yeah i think that's difficult uh you really can just play around the main uh, i mean playing around the echo echoes of eternity tricks and and cards uh is worth doing and then and then it drops off it drops it drops off rapidly after that like if you start trying to avoid specific things from the draft packs you probably will end up just not playing optimally because you're playing around cards that you're unlikely to actually counter yeah so yeah um it's a it's a large pool of cards uh, so just a brief overview of the format. Uh, if you listen to us last week, we talked about some of the themes that would be present, and and all of those are there. If you're if you're in time primal justice, there's going to be a lot of relic synergy. Uh, if you're in uh, if you're in primal shadow fire, there's going to be a lot of stuff with dragons. There's also a lot of sub synergies and a lot of little things that you can go in on and have your and have your deck sort of devoted to them. Like if you're in dragons, you can have some spell damage stuff going on, or you can have some sacrifice stuff going on. There's a lot of little synergies that will go into making any deck, um, and I think that'll make it really interesting, but also pretty complicated the like the kind of decks that we're seeing that are winning seven games and that are people are turning into the discord aren't obviously seven win decks uh for the most part they are there there are a bunch of cards that look good and probably work fine together but it's not obvious like oh that's definitely a seven win deck um and i've been winning with decks that aren't obviously seven win decks uh, as well so it's 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 interesting that way it'll be, take a little time to figure out where the power is uh, there's only one new keyword which is corrupted which we were talking about earlier um, so it's worth knowing how that works and knowing the intricacies of it. It's a good mechanic for sacrifice because you can sacrifice either the initial unit or the shade for whatever like sacrifice ability that you're going in on. And a lot of cards like Marsh Dragon and uh, uh, Combust are, are in this format, so there's plenty of reasons to want to sacrifice units. That's something to be aware of. And uh, relics and relic weapons are a much bigger deal than they have been in any other draft format that I remember too. So uh, that's also something to to keep an eye out for. Is relic destruction is something that you can probably main deck. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I'm just really touching on a lot of things briefly, but uh, I, I think it's kind of wide open and very interesting. Mill is very is still a thing because all of the wretched ravens and everything are have been put in the curated draft packs and then there's other there's a lot of cards in the new set that benefit from having cards in your opponent's void um so really what i would say at the at the end of this to sum up um is that whatever kind of deck you like drafting there's support for it i don't know how powerful it is overall at this point um but drafting a multicolor, just a whole bunch of good cards in a four or five faction deck seems good. But also all of these individual things have a fair amount of uh, support in the cards as well. Uh, it seems impossible 
that that should be true <laughs> because just draft anything you want and it will be good is obviously not good draft technique. But my initial sense right now is that this is a draft format that will that will give you um, a, that will be fun for a lot of for players who want to play in a lot of different ways. So it m could be one of the better ones that they've designed. Uh, even with all of the weird complexities of like strange rarities and curated draft packs and stuff, um, I I th I think there's a lot of fun things that you can do that will be winning strategies, and that's what I look for in a draft format that I really want to play. So that's my initial thoughts. To touch on a couple things that you mentioned, really interesting to me how they have these three color signpost cards because this is sort of a three color focused format. But then they also gave these 10 two-color signposts on commons, too. And how those all work together and, you know, which, you know, so you have this three-color deck. But, like, which of the two colors are you focusing on in your three-color deck and stuff like that? And, like, which of those synergies are you focusing on is all very interesting and complex. And it's a thing to keep in mind when you're... Even though you're like, oh, I'm drafting a three-color deck or whatever, you know, there's sub-synergies within that and there's directions, different directions you can take even these three-color decks because of these sort of two-color signpost cards also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other thing that you sort of mentioned that I wanted to touch on and focus on is the fact that they did bring back a lot of set seven cards in the draft packs. I think way more than in previous formats. It feels like this draft set is very informed by set seven draft. And a lot of the themes and stuff that we know from set seven have, have been ported over and then added upon. And, and I think not all of that is completely obvious just by looking at the set eight cards. You know, like Mill is an interesting example because when you look at the set eight cards, you're like, wow, a lot of these cards care about having card, you know, the 10 cards in your opponent's graveyard. There's a bunch of cards that are really powerful when you trigger that condition. But unlike set seven, there's not a ton of cards in the set eight packs that do mill or help you sort of trigger that condition. But the fact that there are so many set seven cards in the draft packs and a bunch of them are boosted means that more than if you just looked at the spoiler for set eight, you might be able, these decks might be more real than they might look at, look like if you just look at the set eight cards. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to actually try drafting Mill to see how easy it is. Because like like you figured out with the math earlier, we're not going to see as many Wretched Ravens in the packs as we did when they were just Flames of Zalta commons. Right. So you won't end up with that, uh, with as many of them. Even if nobody else wanted to go into Mill, you're still not going to see as like the three or four Wretched Ravens that you would sometimes see if you decided to draft Mill. Just as an example of a type of deck that you could draft. Um, so it'll be different. Um, but the payoffs are, are much greater this time because they printed more cards that are payoffs. So yeah, it'll be interesting working all of that out. 
I guess my overview sort of complicated things more than simplifying it, but that's 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 where we're at. It's the beginning of a new format. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was really great. Shall we mo- shall we move let's, on to our let's top get comments? down to brass tacks? Yes, please. Yes. All right. So we're going to go through the order. So we both have our top three commons in each of the colors, and then our top uncommon. So let's begin with fire. Uh, my my ranking is first uh, Fury Blade, which is a one fire relic weapon. It's a two one, and that's it. That's all it is. <laughs> it's a it's a removal card. That's a relic weapon. Uh, number two is Blade Crafter, which is a four fire two two with corrupted, and it's uh, with corrupted six so its ability will cost six the next time you use it um and on summon uh, you get to uh, draw any weapon from your deck of your choice and uh ter- and my third choice is burning core drake which is a three fire fire three one flyer with reckless and it's a dragon and it has a mastery of nine which is uh, when it has done nine damage, it gets to draw three treasure troves, which are a two-cost spell that draws you a card. Mm-hmm. It's an awfully complicated card for a common, now that I'm trying to say all of it <laughs> out loud. What are your choices? <laughs> all right. So we have a bunch of similarities. So number one, I said Burning Core Drake. Number two, I said Assault Shield, which is the three-fire, zero-two relic weapon with the summon plus one attack for each of your units. And then number three, I said Fury Blade. Fury Blade was actually, I was debating whether this was my number one. I ended up putting it at number three, only because I was thinking about pack one, pick one. And I just feel like out of all the fire commons, I would still probably take Burning Core Drake, pack one, pick one. So I don't know if that if that's the way I should be rating my my best fire commons, but I get that's sort of how I was thinking. Yeah, and it makes it certainly makes sense. I'm thinking of Fury Blade as a removal spell, so more like char than anything else. It's obviously not as good as char as removal, but because of the sort of uh, sort of random like being able to bring back relic weapons and generating armor and that kind of thing that's available in this set, I think Fury Blade's probably a pretty versatile and good removal spell. So that's how I'm thinking of it. And I may change my mind over the long term about how powerful it actually is. But in general, I'm just sort of thinking removal over over uh, over average yeah. units. And I do think like Burning Core Drake is interesting because I do I'm so far pretty high on this on the card, but the fact that cards like Humbug Nest exist yeah. make cards like Burning Core Drake probably worse than how the card maybe initially reads. Yes, it doesn't exist in a vacuum, and this is a format with more flyers than usual. Uh, we should probably do the like arithmetic on how many flyers are actually in the format. It feels like there's more flyers than usual and. uh uh, but that's just a feeling. I haven't really looked at it in terms of numbers. Um, but there is Humbug Nest in this format, and that uh, means you're trading ha- a whole card for a half of theirs. And there's uh, 1-5 Uncommon in Primal, and there's, you know, mm-hmm. like Archive Curator is still sort of kicking around. Like, there's a lot of ways that this that Burning Core Drake just doesn't make it. 
Um, so and then it's a uh, whatever that that serpent is in Primal, the three one sky snapper. Then that's all it is, except it's slightly harder to summon. No, that is definitely true. I mean, the upside though does exist. So. Oh yeah, and I've seen that go off, and of course it's very, 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 very powerful. As far as your number two blade crafter, I'm still not necessarily a believer in this card. Okay. Um, but I probably have to play with it a couple times to really figure it out. I put assault shield as my number two, and this is this is probably my most speculative pick of the three but i was thinking of this as a removal spell and the fact that obviously if you have no units out this is not a very good card but if you have two units out it's an iron hook which was not a good card was often a very cuttable card but was sort of sometimes playable but then at three units it's better than a bandit flail which was an okay card. Mm-hmm. So, and then late game, you know, if you get into board stalls or whatever, this becomes just like an outright removal for three, which yeah. is you, pretty good. You, you do have to tank with your face, though. Uh, yes. And that's not... that's uh, it, Of course, you have to do that with Fury Blade, too, but you are um, probably not killing something gigantic with Fury Blade. Whereas Assault Shield is either, uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad card. The jury's still out for me because I haven't actually haven't played uh, with or against it yet. Um, uh, this is totally speculative, speculative for me. But uh, I feel like uh, there are going to be times when you can kill something really big with this. But the requirements are that you have this giant board stall, and like you never can control entirely how powerful Assault Shield is. Like you need to have a board stall condition where there's something big you need to kill of your opponents and you need to have have a whole bunch of units out and there certainly are board stalls in this format um but you can't count on them like sometimes your opponent will just have like like something big big that has one more uh, uh health than the your assault shields can generate and then you have to do weird things like attacking in with your units and hoping they uh don't sniff out a trick and that kind of thing um i think that kind of situation is going to happen i don't think that it's a bad card i think that uh it's it's probably fine removal but the fact that you can't ever control how powerful it is makes me not want to pick it up that high at this point but i i want to play with it more before i'm sure how i feel about it i think the knock against it is even though it does have high upside often the upside will never be on curve yeah, sometimes it will be, and sometimes it won't be. Like, yeah, if you if you're if you're if you're spending turn three on it, you're almost certainly only going to get one power. Uh, like, you've only got one attack on it because you've only got one unit out at that point. Yes. So it's only going to come in later, and you have to establish this board presence first. It feels awkward to me. Yeah, yeah, it's probably already moving down my list the more we talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm already switching Fury Blade and Assault Shield, and sure. who knows, maybe Blade Crafter will move up. But like we've been saying, a lot of these commons are really weird, so I'm not sure how low it can really go. I am um, currently operating under the assumption that all of the Corrupted cards are just bonkers. Yeah. Um, and for their cost and and so that's why i'm pretty high on blade crafter right now i've seen 
a few streamers uh, playing with Bladecrafter in their deck, and it seems to work out real good. Because it gets any weapon you want, that's not bad. All right, shall we move to Uncommons? Yeah, this is a much shorter discussion. Um, so what uh, did you take? Seer. I took Seer, which is, uh, which is a two-fire fast spell, and it says deal three damage. That's what it does. It's Torch for one more power, uh, but before Torch was nerfed. Uh, and Torch was was so good that even even a, even a spell that costs one more is already one of the best cards in the format. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Seer, it's, it's removal. Removal is often ends up king, and just being able to hold up two power and then on your opponent's turn take something out is very, very powerful. And... Yeah. Three is much more than three damage is much more than two damage. It is. It is a lot more. Also, Seer works with. I mean, this is going to be something that I probably end up saying a lot over the next few months. But um, Seer works with all of the all of the the touch spells. Like Touch of Battle can can give Seer deadly. Uh, you know, Touch of Purity can can give it life steal like it it can become like this insane thing but the one that gives it double damage makes it into a, a spell that does six damage like it it just is it, the potential on it is huge um and it's already a good card all right shall we move to time yes yes please uh my top three commons are number one rectifier which we've already talked about number two humbug nest which is a three time time uh, it's a fast spell insanely uh, that makes two one-one flying humbugs, and uh, my number three is Magnificent Stranger, which is a two-three stranger for two time. Whenever one or more strangers attacks, reduce the top card of your deck's cost by two. Yep, and I had the exact same list actually, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the two things to note is I think Humbug Nest while it does synergize with a lot of different strategies, is also just a generically powerful card. You know, yeah. putting two attack in the air is really good. There are a lot of X1 flyers that Humbug Nest trades very profitably with at fast speed. So that's all very good. And then as a bonus, you know, you have ways to boost flyers, you have things that want to sacrifice sort of leftover 1-1s after you trade for your opponent's 3-1 flyer and such. So it's just a very powerful card. And yep. even more so than um, the Ambusher from last format, you really got to pay attention when your opponent passes with 3 power up and has double, double time influence. I think that's going to be a key thing to pay attention to. Just like in the last format when your opponent passed with four power up and had double time influence. And you're like, oh, this seems like they're probably trying to do something tricky. I think the same thing yeah. applies with Humbug Nest. I think uh, Magnificent Stranger, I am almost just gave it this ranking because it is a 2-3. There seems like there's going to be a lot of 2-2s two in the format with all the fixing strangers around. You know, if you do trigger it a couple times, that's really great. If you don't, you still have a great blocker and attacker. And it's a good curve unit. You know, the the card that was sort of in contention for me was Gravewatch Ancestor, which I've been having a lot of luck with. But the fact that 
Magnificent Stranger comes down on turn two as a two three as compared to Grave Watch Ancestor, which comes down as a three, you know, a two three for three cost sort of bumped it up for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I like Grave Watch Ancestor too, but I think you have to play with Magnificent Stranger to really understand how uh absurd it can be. Because it, it because it is larger than any other two twos, it usually will get at least one attack in. And you can almost always take advantage of that discount somehow. And sometimes it will do truly absurd things, like being able to uh, summon a five-cost unit on turn three or something. Yeah. And you can't count on that happening, obviously, because the top uh, card of your deck is random. But when that happens, uh, you win the game. And then uh, when you get, like, even when you like turn a a, a, a one or two cost spell into a zero cost spell, and you can just uh, use it whenever you feel like without worrying about the cost, it's still like really powerful. So it got one of the more pow- one of the more powerful abilities for the common strangers in this set, and it's the biggest one. All right, and then for our uncommons, we also both agreed with Nahid's distillation. Yeah. Uh, and this is a six-cost uh, spell that draws three cards. Uh, it costs six and one time. Uh, but if you tap a unit, that's not the word. If you exhaust a unit when you play it, it will cost two less. So it'll cost four. Uh, drawing three cards for four is ridiculous. <laughs> it's very, very good. It's like the ultimate hand refill. Oh, it man. feels impossible. to. I'm... I'm it's definitely possible, but it feels impossible to lose when you play this card. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's just, um, yeah, it's it's quite absurd. And because you have all of this sort of, because you have all of these sort of turn three plays um, with time, like, like Rectifier and Humbug Nest, where it's not actually necessary to attack right away, like Rectifier, you can, you can play Rectifier on three, spoil your opponent's plans and then exhaust exhaust it to draw three cards the next turn and then go on with your day like it's uh, it just sort of fits it's not even awkward to cast it it's not even awkward to cast it on four you're fine you're not going to die and now you have so many more resources than your opponent and probably the um the sigils to be able to cast all of your cards it's nuts i can't believe they printed this at uncommon (laughs) <laughs> Especially compared to the power level of the other cards uh, that sort of in this cycle where you can get a discount by exhausting one of your units. They're all playable, but this one is by far the best. And there's some tough competition for the time uncommons. And I, I still think this is the best one. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on to Justice? Yes. I mean... Yes, kicking and screaming. We should go. Uh, <laughs> my top common is easy though. Uh, dive bomb is uh, it's a fast spell. It costs four justice, uh, and it says give two of your units flying and plus one plus four. Uh, it's a really versatile trick. You can make your units live through practically any combat, which is sort of one of the main things that you'll do. But you get to do it to two different units, which is very powerful. Uh, it's very hard for a combat phase to go badly if you've got an open if you've got open power to cast dive bomb, and then the other main use is uh, to just end the game if you're in a ground stall, 
and you can and you can launch your two largest units over your opponent's army and just do all of that damage in one turn. Uh, so it's a finisher and an effective combat trick in one. It's just a real good card. Um, my my number two pick will probably be the most controversial one, and I'm really it's really just a a sort of a I just want to talk about this card kind of a pick. Uh, <laughs> more than more than I think it's actually the second best common that that Justice has. Um, I think it's good, and I want to talk about it. So I chose Siege Provisions, and Siege Provisions is a is a relic. It costs two Justice. Um, it has uh, Spellcraft one to cast Endure, which gives one of your units invulnerable to damage until the end of the turn. Um, and then its static is a, a static ability is uh, once per turn you can spend three to give one of your units plus two plus two and endurance for that turn. That's a complex card, and I'm not saying that you should pack your deck full of these things, but I like having one in every Justice deck that I play because it makes attacking um, it makes defending a nightmare for your opponent. Because you can just choose to make one of your units a lot more dangerous than it naturally is, um, and then you don't have to lose a blocker because it's got endurance. Um, so usually your opponent will be in a situation where they have to deal with this temporarily larger unit somehow, either take the damage or chump block it or whatever, and you haven't weakened your army in order to send that unit in. Um, so it's just sort of this endless pressure that you can uh, put up. So it's very it's very appropriately named Siege Provisions. Plus you get that one free attack when you first summon Siege Provisions and one of your units is invulnerable. Uh, it's a real good tempo card. It, it doesn't have board presence on its own, but because of the endurance ability, um, it almost feels like you've got an extra unit because you get to attack with a unit and without losing a blocker. So I'm very high on this card right now, considering that it's something that doesn't provide board presence on its own. I don't know if it's really the second most powerful Justice common, but I think it's worth experimenting with and taking. Don't Again, don't put like a ton of them in your deck because they don't attack on their own, but I think it's a good card. Um, and then my third pick, uh, which is, again, I don't really know if this is the third best one, but I like it, so I want to talk about it, is Sky King Storyteller. Uh, it's a 2-3 justice uh card uh it costs three justice it's a two three with war cry and once it has done six damage it has a mastery of six you shuffle a sword of the sky king into your deck which is an eight power eight eight relic that's a bonkers thing for a common to be able to do um i haven't seen this happen yet in a game i have certainly achieved mastery with the sky king storyteller but i haven't drawn the sword and actually played it it feels to me a lot like uh the the one one flyer that can turn into a five five flyer once you reach eight power uh and you just sort of make it grow you know it's like a it's a it's a card that just sort of does its job early on and then turns into actually it's more like Zenon guardian the three three for four with endurance that turns into mm -hmm. an eight eight later it's more like that, where it kind of is a pretty good unit for a while, and then once you read it, reach 8 power, suddenly it's a, a crazy unit. I think Sky King Storyteller reminds me of those cards, and I think it's probably going to be powerful in, a, in the same way. Uh, maybe not quite as powerful, because you do have to actually draw this, the sword and then get up to 8 power to play it, 
Um, but it does have Warcry, which is a pretty good ability um, to have even on a 2-3 three for 3. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be sort of one of the meat and potatoes justice cards um, in this format. I like the card in theory, I think, a lot more than how it, how it is or will play out in practice. I think it's pretty cool with its ability. But I don't, I don't know. When I really think about it, I'm just not totally... <laughs> Uh-huh. Totally That's fair. That's totally fair. Convinced about it, you know, because you you made uh, uh, what is that card? Xenon Guardian or whatever the three three endurance that grows to an eight eight. You know, the difference is it's not taking up one of your draw steps yeah, in between true. three and eight power, yep. which this card potentially could, or this card. Or when it's not doing that, you just may never draw the sort of the Sky King, which I agree is like a very powerful card to draw when you can play it. But there's just so many points in the game on both sides where it's totally useless. And the fact that this is undercosted, I mean, it does have Warcry, but man, these like understated units with large mastery i'm just not a believer in okay i think i think maybe i'm rating Warcry a little bit higher than than you are uh and i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong to do that and and it will uh and time will prove me wrong but i think Warcry's a good enough ability to have on a two three for three that it's worth playing on its own yeah no i i agree i'm I do think Warcry is a great ability. I am definitely not valuing it very highly on this unit because it's understated and it doesn't have a very big butt. You know, when you compare this to like the three cost one five with Warcry Endurance, like that's not chipping in much damage, but it's also not dying in combat. While Mm -hmm. this is dying to a lot of three drops. And so you're not, I feel like you're not getting very many war cries off with it, nor are you attacking three times very often with this card. Sure. Um, which is my, I think, my main problems with it. I do agree, though, it is a very cool card, and you're going to feel great attacking with your Sword of the Sky King <laughs> when, you, when all the pieces do come together. But uh, I'll I'll move to my list. I have okay. Dive Bomb as the number one card. And then my number two, I pick Steely Stranger, which is the two Justice, one three. When one or more of your strangers attack, the top unit of their deck gets a random battle skill. I'm probably overvaluing this card just because it's kind of fun. But the, uh-huh. fact, <laughs> but the fact that it is a 1-3, means you are probably going to get at least one attack in when you play this on curve. And it can be a very powerful ability. You know, it doesn't get it doesn't get the ability like say that Tranquil like how Tranquil Scholar does. But like we've learned giving units I think random abilities can really change the value of units. And yeah, the fact true. that um, you can keep doing this, I think, 
makes this a surprisingly good card. I think it has a, a good stat line for being able to attack in and triggering it a couple times. So that's why I picked it as number two. And then I really couldn't pick a number three. So I just went with Promising Pupil, um, which is the four justice, two, two exalted mastery Two Promising Pupil gets a random battle skill. Maybe I was just going for, for theme picks. But the fact that you only need to attack or block once with this to get its mastery, I think, is helpful. And I think Exalted is an ability that should never be underestimated. So that's kind of why I went with yeah, this and my third best common. Uh, and just from just from just from streaming and sort of observing other people's streams for the last few days, uh, I, I think a lot of people are really optimistic about this card, and it may very well end up being one of the best green commons. Um, I, I, I know I shouldn't underestimate Exalted, but I still, I still do. So I had, um, I had a game last week in the hybrid format against Promising Pupil where the, they, they, they made the Promising Pupil, and then I blocked it um, and killed it like early on before it got any abilities. Um, and then I had to deal with you know, the Exalted weapon and stuff. And then they brought it back with Haunting Scream, uh, <laughs> and it attacked me in the air and it got a new ability and then immediately died and then added another weapon to something and then they managed to bring it back again and it had already been screened so that was good uh, that was obviously pr a pretty <laughs> good way to use it um, but also like how often is that going to happen <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uh, and so and so my my observation about it in the last few days has been that I can often just ignore it because it's a four power two two, and so if it attacks and gets an ability, uh, unless it's a very there's a very small number of abilities that it can get that make it actually super dangerous, and a lot of times I can just ignore the thing completely, and I don't have to worry about it. Like if I have some flyers that I just don't block the promising pupil and um, and I race it and it's and it was a four power two two, so. Um, I, I know that I shouldn't underestimate Exalted, but I'm thinking that this might end up more in the Ardent Convert range in the long run mm -hmm. than, uh, than anything better than that. Even with its ability, like because it's a random ability, sometimes it's going to be amazing, and those are going to be the stories that you remember. But sometimes it's just going to be a four-power do-nothing, and uh, so I don't know. Um, and I could very well be wrong about this card, um, and because other people seem to be uh, like sort of as a group higher on it than I am, and uh, and I'll, I'll be sure to keep an open mind about it. But it hasn't impressed me so far. No, I I think we're on the same page with this. I think this is more a testament to how I feel about the justice cards. Yeah, and mostly the fact that I'm way lower than you on siege provisions that and sure. Sky King storyteller than yeah. that. It, then that this is a ringing endorsement of promising people. Yeah, Justice has a weird crop of cards for sure. Yeah, so uh, our top uncommons for Justice, uh, we uh, once again both have the same top uncommon. Yep, uh, and that is Wind Conjuring. Wind Conjuring is is part of the Invoke cycle of uncommons for this set. It is a fast spell. It costs three Justice. Justice. And it gives your unit uh, plus four, plus four in endurance. And also readies it if it was exhausted. Uh, so that's a very good 
spell just by itself. Very good pump spell, but it also has the ability decimate invoke, which means if you decimate the uh, your max power when you play it, you get to choose. Oh, how do you explain invoke? You get to choose from a random uh, attachment spell or unit. Is that how invoke works? Yes. So you get. Yes, you get a random attachment, you get a random spell, and you get a random unit. And then you choose one of those to draw, and then you can use it. So, yeah, Wind, Wind Conjuring is already a really powerful card, even without that ability. You would pick it pretty high, but it also has this uh, this ability to draw a, a, another card. Sometimes it's a legendary. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Sometimes it can be all kinds of great things, depending on the situation. So, yeah, Wind Conjuring never let me down. Uh, since the beginning of the format, I pe- pegged it as a pretty good, pretty good card the instant I saw it, and it has it has been that every time I've seen it played. Plus, it's got that ambush thing where you can where you can ready it, so it's it's a little bit, um, yeah, it's it's like that high alert card. And then on to primal. What are your top commons? My top common. Oh, I didn't put a third one. Neat. Uh, well, I'll come up with that in a minute. <laughs> uh, my my number one is brood of Aramot. It's a it's a three three flyer for four primal primal. It is a dragon. Uh, that's it. That's a good card. Um, number two is biting winds, uh, which is a uh, three power fast spell. Do six damage to an attacking creature. And um, number three, I think I'm just gonna go with the one that you chose as well. Book club yeti. Book club yeti is a uh, two primal three one unit. It's a yeti. Um, it has the ability sacrifice itself to do an amount of damage to an, uh, an opponent, opposing unit equal to the, uh, the highest cost of relics that you control. So the biggest relic that you have, um, if it's a Wormstone, for example, that costs four. That means the Book Club Yeti can sacrifice itself to do four damage to an opposing unit. Uh, just sort of a good two-drop that can tangle with other two-drops, and then if you can, um, if you have some good relics in your deck with any size, uh, then it becomes a removal spell. So a pretty good card. Yes, I I agree, and like, and it doesn't even have to be a very expensive relic. You know, like a three-cost relic. So you get to have a 3-1 that can maybe attack in on turn 2, and then later on just randomly do 3 damage to another unit seems, like, pretty good. So it's the floor of this card, I think, is not very bad, and then there's potential upside. So that's kind of why I put it as my third best common. So we had the same list. I had Brood of Aramot, number 1, Biting Winds, number 2, and then Book Club Yeti, number 3. Yeah. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out that Primal's commons aren't significantly worse than the other factions this time around. Um, and in fact, in some cases, are better. Yeah. No, there's definitely some... I mean, Biting Winds seems like a really good card. Yeah, seems decent. Um, and even some of these... Like, there's a, a couple of these while your enemy player has a 10 or more cards in their void. Uh, the Overlook Spotter, the 2 Primal 1-3 which is totally fine. It has Pledge. That's upside. And then becomes a 4-6 if you, the enemy player has 10 or more cards in their void. That seems yeah. like a pretty good card, too, because, once again, the floor is not that low. It's these... What's different about these new this new breed of Primal cards is they're synergy cards, but the floor is much higher. 
Yeah. Then. Yeah, they they are they have um they're not small. <laughs> they're not like tiny for their cost uh or or weird. I mean, some of them are um like there's not an unplayable uh primal card except for static discharge, which is a relic that uh damages it's a cursed relic that damages the opposing player when they play in a spell or attachment that seems real bad um but all of the others are are basically playable to various degrees which is interesting uh because that's not normally the case with primal at all normally it's just a whole bunch of fringe synergy cards um but i'm not embarrassed to have any of these in my deck uh i think like the i I talked about nesting raven a little bit last week but nesting raven's a perfectly fine card uh, Spellstorm Stranger is probably a little weak because it gives you spell damage, but only um, only if you attack with a stranger that turn. Uh, and some of them are definitely filler, but they're all fine cards to put in a draft deck. So that's going to be interesting having four, uh, having five playable factions instead of four this time. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And then our uncommons are once again the same. It's just Water Conjuring, which is the primal conjuring spell which is a flash freeze. So it's uh, three primal primal, fast spell, stun two enemy units, and then has invoke primal if you decimate. Yeah, yeah, it's real good. Really good. Um, it's just a flash freeze with upside. Onto shadow. So wow. shadow, shadow sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on with shadow? Uh it was hard to even come up with three good comments, but um, I will, I will, I will, I will give you my top three. My top shadow common, and I actually don't think this is close for me, um, is Triumphant Return, which is uh, which costs uh, three shadow. It is a spell that uh, that gets a unit back from your void and gives it plus two plus two permanently. Uh, so it's a little bit like Dark Return, but it costs three times as much and has uh, gives twice the boost. Um, my my second choice is Entranced Cultist. Uh, Entranced Cultist is a 1-1 one, one for 1. It's a unit. Uh, its summon ability is to give Quick Draw to any unit. It can also give, it, give that ability to itself. Uh, and it has Corrupted 1, which means when it dies... Uh, it will be a shade that dies in one turn, and it can pay one to give quick draw to a unit. Uh, so it can end up giving quick draw to two different units if it if it uh, feels like it, <laughs> or if the situation comes up. Uh, it's not like a dramatically awesome card, but I my experience with it is that it has played pretty well. Like giving quick draw to anything you want uh, tends to be a pretty powerful thing and then you can do it twice and you can chump block with it and you can sacrifice it to things it's just sort of a versatile little one drop mm-hmm. um, and my my third pick is Felrauk's infiltrator which is a unit uh, that costs three shadow shadow it's a one one it has unblockable and deadly uh, and then it's mastery ability uh, is mastery five once it's done five damage um, you can look at the top five cards of your opponent's deck draw one of those cards and put the rest in your opponent's void and honestly i don't know how to rank this little guy i think it's potentially a good card um, it's a lot to it's 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 expensive for all of the things it does all of the individual things it does it's expensive for a one one deadly and it's expensive for a 1-1 one, one unblockable. 
Um, but that mastery ability is very powerful to choose among five cards from your opponent's deck. Uh, it needs some help to get there, but it's versatile. It's the sort of thing like sometimes you have a a, a one one scorpion. You know, it's got deadly, and you want to attack with it because you don't need to block with it. But um, then your opponent has the choice to just like trade with something small, and then you're losing value because you didn't trade it with something large, and you want to trade with something large because it has deadly. Felrock's Infiltrator doesn't have that problem. It can attack with impunity. It has unblockable. And then if it attacks five times, then you get that great mastery ability. Uh, but it takes forever unless you give it a weapon. So it's a weird little card, um, and I don't know how to evaluate it at this point. Um, it's another card that uh, I think some people are very excited about, and I'm a little bit more cautious about it at this point. But still... In the rather ramshackle <laughs> um, suite of commons that Shadow has, it's still number three for me. Yeah, we have the same cards, just in different orders. Um, so I had Felrock's Infiltrator as number one, Triumphant Return as number two, and Entranced Cultist as number three. And uh, the one of the things that I noticed is Shadow does not have a common removal spell. This, this is the closest to a common removal spell that you have because it has Deadly, which is not a great removal spell, but it is something. And that's kind of why I like this card so much is because of its versatility. It doesn't do anything great, but it does a lot of things. Yeah. You know, it stops your opponent from attacking if that's what the board situation calls for, or it slowly gets in chip damage because it's unblockable if you have any ways to boost it that's great because it always has unblockable um and then it's mastery i think is game it's like a game ending mastery i think that's a powerful thing for a common to do so that's you, kind of what why i i do like the card but it is once again this is mostly a testament to the fact that I'm not as thrilled with the other cards. And you very mel you very well may be right uh, about Infiltrator, and it is the best common. Um, I, I, I'll have to see. I have to play with it a little bit more. Yeah, I, and I could be wrong about Triumphant Return. I'm just always a little bit more skeptical of these raised dead effects than other people. I always just have a lot less luck with them. Even like Dark Return was never has never been a great card for me personally, even though people love it and it always does pretty well in things. I think Immortalize was different because you got to do the effect twice. But the fact that this costs three, so it's not as easy to play as Dark Return, you do get a bigger buff, but it's just like harder to fit in. And it's situational and that you need cards in your graveyard i don't know i'm just a little skeptical of not how good the card is but like how many you could even play of this card it's just like a little too expensive to like i feel like where you'd want to play too many of these copy too many copies of this card uh, wow. I think it's. I mean, you you never want to play just just uh, jam all of the raised dead effects. Uh, in your deck anyway like even immortalize which is a stronger card than this i usually wouldn't play more than two i think we've yeah. talked about that a couple of times uh like arguably it was the best common for shadow in in uh flames of zolta 
and yet still you wouldn't play as many of them as you could get. But for this card, I don't know. I'd be even so right now skeptical of playing two. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe I'm wrong in that. All right, and then our uncommons, we both picked Defile, which is uh, the big shadow removal spell. Um, do you have that in front of you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, It's uh, it costs two shadow. It's a fast spell. Uh, it kills... Um, it kills an enemy unit with two... I'm uh, sorry, it kills an enemy unit with um, uh, that costs three or less and then puts it in your own void instead of your opponent's. And uh, that's it's just real good. Um, obviously, it's limited to things that cost three or less, but that's sort of the meat and potatoes of a draft format is those, those first three turns. And uh, anything with a weapon on it can still get defiled. The the limitation is the cost of the unit, not anything else. So, and it's fast. It's a fast spell. So, it's just it's just a versatile, powerful card. Cool. So those are our top commons and uncommons. Um, as we're going into the format, I think we'll probably break down those further as we go on, as well as see if if our ratings change as the format goes. But I think it's always fun. Set your starting point of how yeah. you're doing viewing these draft pa- or these packs yeah these are these are harder than i think that they, these were harder than they were in flames of zolta for me for sure yeah I, it, it's either like the first one's very obvious and there's a huge drop off or they're just all sort of very medium and it was hard to like really pick a best one and i think it's fairly safe to say at this point that time has some of the best commons uh which which means that once again, time <laughs> seen as a strong, strong, uh, a strong contender for the best faction in this format. Uh, but, but uh, in other respects, things got really mixed up, like of what you might expect. But, you know, fire still has the same thing where the where the cards aren't individually that strong, but they they work well together. But shadow, but primal is much better than it usually is. Justice is much worse. Shadow is much worse. Shadow not having a common removal spell is uh, is a huge shakeup. It does have technically a removal spell, but it is succumb, and succumb is not good. <laughs> succumb is a four mana is a four power spell that lets your that uh, your opponent sacrifices a unit of their choice. And sometimes that's going to be fine if they have one unit. But otherwise, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Yes. I was like very medium on Voprex's choice, and that cost two. Right. This uh, costs four. <laughs> and it's... I mean, it has another ability. Like, the, you, you, uh, your opponent has to mill a number of cards from their deck into, the, from their, deck into their void, Uh that's equal to the cost of the of the unit that they sacrificed, but I don't know. I don't know how strong that is. I wouldn't even want to play this in a mill deck. <laughs> I I agree, because they're probably sacrificing not a great unit. Right, they're sacrificing their worst unit, which is also probably their least expensive unit. So <laughs> it's not. I don't know what this card is, honestly. There will be situations where you know you Voltron up like one thing because you only had one big unit in your hand, and then your opponent it plays to come, and then you lose that unit doesn't mean that it's right to play succumb. It just means that that situation was bad for you. All right, so we're going to go on to our sort of rating differences. This is a new thing we're trying this uh, this format. I, I mostly shamelessly stole this from a Magic the Gathering uh, podcast. But what we're doing is we rated all the cards 
um, individually. And then we're comparing our ratings and we're just going to going to talk about the cards that we had uh, a significant difference. And this rating system is based on Jed the Hamarid's rating system that he's sort of unveiling to try to get community ratings for all of the all the cards in set eight for draft. And so I kind of put them in general categories. So it's a one through ten rating system and sort of sort of nine and ten are sort of your bomb rares or really good cards. Um, so like Minotaur Plate Maker, Crystallize, Sodi Spell Shaper, Fell Ritual. So they're your removals or sort of win on the spot cards. Um, then six, seven, eight are your above average to great cards. The six range are like Tremor Shocker. Then there's like Blurry Chaser, Alley Guide, Grodov's Favored, Teething Whelp, Streets of Flames. So that includes your really efficient units or your units that do a little extra like Grodov's Flavored or Favored or like cards like Streets of Flame that are removal but not quite as maybe good as say a Fell Ritual or something. Then there's your average cards which in your four or five range. And then one, two, and three are sort of your unplayable or bad, not great cards. Yeah, that's clear enough. It's a one to ten scale. And and my approach here, because so many of the cards in this format do depend on synergy, so the ratings will uh, will go up and down depending on what you already have, was to more or less look at this as you don't have anything in your pool yet, and like this is how strong the card is in general in this format, knowing like what we know now about the way things are uh, about the way this format plays. Um, so. Uh, all of uh, nearly all of the cards re- um, rely on some amount of synergy, um, and so it's uh, so I kind of rated them based on like how likely I felt like the the what this card needs to function is to pay off, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. I, I would have put it in a more biased way than you did. There were some of the synergies that I'm a little more skeptical of, and I ended up rating them a little lower because I'm more skeptical of the synergy than some of the others but yeah. this is our first time doing this and we're still just getting used to to it so i think there will be some quirks but i think it'll be interesting nonetheless and hopefully we'll get better as this <laughs> as if we ever do this again we could like revisit it and see and see if our and see if our ratings have gotten closer or further away further on down the line you know that might be yeah, fun that'd be fun all right so the first card that we had a disagreement with was Soul Drain Smithing, which is the two-fire spell. Draw a weapon from your void. It and each weapon in your deck gets plus one attack. So I gave this a two, which means it is nearly unplayable, avoid playing situation or a situational effect, and you gave it a four. Yeah, I gave it a four. Slightly below average. I think it's just a, a raised dead effect for relic weapons, and I think there's a lot of playable relic weapons in this format. That's pretty much it. It improves the weapon when you get it back, and then you get the you get this you have the option of anything in your deck, um, or rather anything in your void to to bring back. And with cards like uh, Fury Blade and the Assault Shield, um, and all the ones that they're they've got in the um, in the draft packs, because they brought back like all of the sort of efficient relic weapons uh-huh. uh, in the draft packs as well. 
I think that that's sort of a, a playable line of removal for uh, some decks, and I think Soldrain Smithing is playable in those decks. I probably wouldn't play more than one, but for me, that's a four. It's not something I'm actively avoiding. It's something I'm looking at like, oh, hey, like this is going to be something that I can play in that Relic Weapony sort of deck. Yeah, I think maybe I'm less of a believer in the Relic Weapon deck, and the number of Relics I would need in my deck to feel confident playing this is pretty high to how many... Also, it does bring back regular weapons as well. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It just just seems like a card I'm not going to play ever. So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, then two is appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see to see who's more correct on that one part of this is also that i was sort of hoping for a card like this in this format and then they printed it and so i was like well i'm gonna play that if i if if it's at all possible for me to play it i'm gonna try it uh and i i I think it's clearly not like a super powerful card but i um if 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 the armory deck works it needs cards like this and there one is so that's pretty much how i feel going into it so maybe i'm a little biased in that direction yeah, and I think this next one will further add to this because the next card that we had a disagreement again on was Blade Crafter, which is the four fire 2 2 that draws a weapon from your deck and then corrupted six. So you yeah. gave this a six. I did. For a, above average, and I gave it a four. Yes. Which is below average. Well, we already talked about this one. I think having that power, um, that having the power to choose any weapon from your deck, even if you've just got like three or four weapons and they all do different things, is is super good. And then you can do it again when the when the blade crafter dies. So it's not a good tempo play because it is a two two for four, but it does it does replace itself with a card of your choice and and then can do it again. So I, right now I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that this will probably be pr- a pretty good common. Yeah, I, I think my main issue, I, I believe that this could be a six. I always get nervous about these synergy cards that are way understated. So I, I need to play with it more to sort of believe into it. But this is a card that I could imagine going up because... It is a tutor. It is a draw card. So it has the makings of a very good card. But the fact that at its base, it's a four power 2-2 makes me nervous, which is why I kind of gave it a four on my initial ratings. The next card where we had a big disagreement on was Calibrate. So Mm -hmm. moving into time cards. Calibrate is the one-time spell Draw a relic or power card from your, the top five cards of your deck. Put the rest on the bottom. So you have this as a six. I have it as a three. So you think it's above average, and I think it's well below. Uh, what are your thoughts on this card? You know, I think that six is probably a little generous to this card, especially because I'm not quite a believer in the relic deck yet. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking of this as a seek power which mm-hmm. a bad seek power. Yeah. But like but like a seek power nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like in your top 5 cards you're probably very likely to see a power and it's a one cost spell so you're able to play it early and a seek power is just like a very good card. I think one of obviously the powers of seek power is you get to choose what color it is. Yeah. But 
this allowing you to draw power, I just feel like at its baseline is a pretty makes it a pretty good card. Okay. Even ignoring the relic bonus, which just goes up if you're in a relic deck. That was sort of the angle I was viewing it from. The angle that I'm viewing it from is that I would rather play a sigil. You know, the the one thing is because of the mulligan system and how there is an advantage to using a spell to do that in this game. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I think it's unreliable enough that I would I don't put it in the same class as seek power because it can whiff. Sometimes you don't have a sigil in your top five cards. Yes. Um, and often you won't have the sigil that you're looking for. And then this digs through. Let's see what what happens to the five cards. They go on the bottom of your deck. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to imagine a, an actual gameplay situation where I want to spend one power on this. But I gave it a three rather than a two because the relic deck may very well exist. And then you can dig through your deck for the next thing that you need pretty quickly. So in that case, I would probably at least try one calibrate in that deck. Otherwise, though, I I, I, I know that there's because of the mulligan system, you can kind of cheat extra power into your deck a little bit. But I, I don't until I'm convinced otherwise, I don't think that an unreliable like seek power is is worth the deck slot over a over a sigil itself that's interesting it, it mostly in the sense that i feel like in the relic deck this is probably an actively good card but maybe that's wrong i don't know i don't know how i think it's it's a card where we would want to look at the actual math of it and see how many relics you need to have in your deck before calibrate is is uh is is hitting something really consistently and so like without that math in front of me i just don't know so that'll be another interesting one to see where we end up on that one the next one is pause for reflection which is the one time fast spell put a unit or relic with cost three or less into its owner's hand you gain three life Mm -hmm. and you gave this a five, and I gave this a two. So you yeah. said it was an average card, and I called it situational. Yeah, this is another one where these effects can, I think, be very good cards, like teleport. You know, they're tempo-positive effects. But the fact that this one has a cost restriction is making me think that this is going to be too situational. And the three life, while something is just like not enough to motivate me to want to do, you know, to really, to really care that much about it. And just how I use these cards often, the fact that you're not able to take their biggest blocker out or their biggest attacker out, I think is really going to harm this card and makes me a lot less excited to put this in my deck. And so it moves it closer in my mind to a card like phase out which may has this may have its use but 90 percent of the time is not making my deck yeah that's fair i think that this is probably closer to teleport for me like uh you you'll get a lot of situations where let's say you're attacking with something large and they double block at least one of those units is going to be something that you can pause for reflection and then 
um, and then kill the larger unit of the two things that's blocking. So that's a common situation where you would use teleport, and I think pause for reflection is just as good as teleport in that situation. Uh, it also does work on relics, and I don't know how often that's going to come up, but um, you know, if you need to save a relic from destruction or from theft or whatever, uh, I think it's just very versatile. So uh, it, the cost res- the cost restriction is real. But in that sort of like grimy first few turns where you're like establishing board control and um, and pause for reflection can still affect basically everything on the board, I, I think it's going to be so useful and efficient because it only costs one in those situations that I, I, I kind of like having one in um, in a time deck generally. I was a little higher on teleport than some people, too. I just felt like the versatility of teleport was was so high that I almost always found a really good use for it whenever I had it in my hand. And pause for reflection is close enough to teleport in my mind that um, uh, with the extra like relic ability, uh, I don't know how often the life gain is going to be relevant, but it's just a nice little bonus. Yeah, um, I, I just can imagine this being a generally pretty useful card. Yeah, that's interesting, because I would call Teleport an average, like a card that almost always one copy makes my deck. Yeah, and that's how I'm I just, thinking of this, just sort of an average card a combat trick. Maybe yeah. you cut it if there's you've got better combat tricks, but if you need combat tricks, this is a perfectly serviceable one. So where would you put this in your mind, just like in general rating, to like metal? Uh, I mean, it's good in slightly different circumstances. Uh but I think it's I think it's comparable to metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, I guess I would have just put metal at slightly below average. It's like a, yeah. a fine card, but it's a a card that I'm happier than not to cut. Well, I definitely would. Put, I, I definitely would say that, like, if I if I had to choose between metal and pause for reflection in my deck, I'd rather have a pause for reflection because it can do more things. Hmm. So, you know, maybe I'll come down on it a little bit. It's fair to say that I might end up with it more as a four or something, but I don't think it would go below that for me. Like, if we're going to say that Defile is one of the very best cards in the format, and it can, like, Pause for Reflection can hit everything that Defile can, plus it can save your own units. Like, it doesn't kill those things, but it's it's similar to, like, Teleport in that sense. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I do think there's an advantage to killing it as oh, opposed to bouncing it. Yeah, but um, yeah, but this is a this is a card that costs half of what Defile does. Can save some of your own units. Can do something to your opponent's relics. I'm not sure what putting relics back in your opponent's hand does, but <laughs> it's possible that it can sometimes give you an advantage. Save your own relics from destruction. You know, it can do a lot of little things. Uh, and I could be overestimating it. Absolutely, it just seems like a versatile, cool little card to me. Then the next card is Sunset Enforcer, which is the six time time five five pledge. When you sacrifice another unit, Sunset Enforcer gets plus two plus two. Yes, uh, I have this. As, I have this as a six. You have this as a four. Uh, what do you think? In my mind, this was closer to a Vine Creeper. It's a slightly overcosted, big beefy time unit that with if you have some synergies, gets better. But I don't know. Maybe in this format, there's just not other options, but I feel like there often are in time. I think it's better than that because uh, of Corrupted, specifically. 
because uh, every corrupted unit has the ability to sacrifice itself. Mm-hmm. And once this is a 7-7, then it was a well-costed unit, and it can get better than that real fast. Yes. And it has Yeah, pledge. and I didn't really think of the corrupted synergy when I was grading this, so I could definitely see this going, just in general, going up, as well as going up a lot higher in in specifically sacrifice decks. And also, this is probably, I mean, I said six, and looking at it now, I, I think probably it's closer to a five, but I also am glad that we talked about it for a second, because that is a, maybe not everyone noticed the um, corrupted synergy with it right away, but I think that's pretty significant. I'm happy to to meet you at five. We did it. We solved it. So moving on to justice, the our first disagreement on justice is outcast elite. And this is the 2-Justice, two 2-1 two Aegis. When you play another Unseen, it gets a random battle skill. And I gave this a 6, and you gave this a 4. And maybe this is just <laughs> goes to... I feel like this is a constant theme in this yeah. podcast, where I just like random battle skills maybe yeah. more than the and average I, person. I, I, think you, I, think, I think one thing is clear. You like them more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> You know, part of my high opinion of this is I had someone play an unseen deck against me, and it felt really powerful for my opponent when they had this out there, and then they just kept playing unseen after unseen, and they just kept getting battle skills. And there are, you know, a bunch of cards that synergize with that fact also, and so, I don't know, it it felt like a sort of a deceptively powerful card. There are a lot of Unseen. There are cards that care about extra battle skills. And, you know, a 2-1 Aegis for 2 is, I think, a fine card on a fine card. Yeah, um, and I think if you have the Unseen deck, then you absolutely play this, and it's great. Uh, And I'm really just sort of rating it a little bit lower because um, although it's possible to draft the Unseen deck, I think it's difficult, and I could change my mind about that later for sure. I should probably experiment with it. That's what I keep saying is that I should try to draft these these theme decks and see how good they are. But I haven't gotten around to doing Unseen yet. Been too busy with Strangers and Dragons. I think Strangers and Dragons are maybe a a sort of a more obvious deck to get into than these Unseen. They sure are, yeah. Uh, I mean, Unseen is certainly supposed to be one of the main themes. Uh, Justice, Justice Primal Shadow is about battle skills and strangers and to some degree curses. But uh, it just doesn't feel quite as easy to bring the Unseen deck together as it does with dragons. But I, I hope that it is good because it's certainly a fun deck. Maybe this is, maybe I'm just an idiot. I feel like part of the problem is it's a lot easier to figure out what cards are dragons than what cards are unseen. That's true. You can't always tell. <laughs> is it an unseen or is it just a person? <laughs> yeah. But the dragons, you're like, oh, that's a dragon. Click. That's yeah. a dragon. Click. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Like who knew Longtail Cavalry was an unseen? And uh, I didn't know that until I started looking for which cards were unseen. Unseen is like one of those, like you have to read the fine print. Justice, I guess we had a few more disagreements on. So this is one of your top commons, Siege Provisions. It's the two justice. Once per turn, you may pay three to give one of your units plus two, plus two in endurance this turn. Spellcraft one, play endure. 
and it's a relic. Yeah. And you gave this a six, and I, I gave it a two. Yeah, I am positive that it's that it's playable and even good after playing it. And you know, we talked about it earlier enough, uh, and I can only reiterate those things now. Is it just feels very strong when you have it on the board? I think the closest comparison that I can come up with is uh, Minotaur Oathkeeper, which mm-hmm. is a 1-1 one, one for 1, which you normally don't play in your deck, but it makes your attacks really good. I was going more with Astronomer's Compass, which is the the two-cost relic that gives a unit plus 1, plus 1 for the turn. That was it's a, a one-cost, and then you have to spend two every turn or something like that? Oh, yeah, it's either one or two costs, and you have to spend two to give a unit plus 1, plus 1 for the turn. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the where I'm coming from from this card. This card just feels too do nothing for me. It's not that cheap. Paying tying up three power every turn to give this effect doesn't seem super great to me. Um, obviously, you've played it and I haven't, so you do have some experience with it and have liked it. But this this really feels like the cards that you talk about not liking, you know, like yeah. these like amber ring, these like small incremental advantage cards that you have, to, you're forced to put power into every turn. And maybe I'm just undervaluing the endurance that this gives, but I would just rather play a unit. The endurance is pretty big, and I I think that makes up for the fact that this isn't a unit actually. Uh, I think un- endurance is sort of an underrated ability because in a way. Endurance gives you two units. Being able to attack and block with a unit is is in a lot of situations like having two units. And so Siege Provisions ends up feeling like you have a unit that you don't have um, because it is so hard for your opponent to block the thing that you give Siege Provisions to profitably. I'm probably a little high on this card now because it was so effective in in the last draft that I won. And, uh, and my rating could come down on it for sure over time. But I, I think it's kind of a case where, like, you, like there's the, another example of a, of a similar card, the compass. It's sort of like, like, at some point, the numbers on a card like that would be good enough that you could play it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if you just, like, if it was the same card, but, like, you were getting plus seven, plus seven on something, then you'd be like, well, I obviously have to play this, even though it doesn't provide board presence by itself. Clearly, it's very, very good. And it's like sort of giving a weapon to a a unit of your choice each turn for a cost. In Magic the Gathering, the equivalent cards would be actual weapons, which didn't exist for Magic until sort of like a few sets in, um, where you could, they had an equip cost where you would give them to different units. um, Depending on which unit you wanted them to, like you would cast the, you would cast the weapon. And then the equip cost would be separate to actually put it on a unit. Uh, and the weapons in Eternal are much more streamlined. You just put them on the unit for their initial cost. Siege Provisions is a little bit more like Magic the Gathering weapons, where you decide which one of your units has the weapon on each turn. And you can't leave it there, unfortunately. Um, but the versatility of being able to decide which one of your units has a plus two, plus two weapon, and then also gets the block next turn, feels very powerful when it's in play. But I also have to say, again, I don't think I would play more than one of these in a deck. It just feels like a really great way of breaking board stalls when I have it on board and there is a board stall situation. Or if I'm attacking in the air, 
doing two more damage. Or if I need to uh, hit a mastery threshold, uh, Siege Provisions helps. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain it because it is the sort of card that I usually don't like, but I if if it ends up being really powerful, I don't want to like miss out. Yeah, I just think, you know, you made the analogy to weapons in Magic the Gathering, and for me this just feels more like an activated ability on a unit in mm-hmm. Magic. And I just feel like if this was an activated ability on a unit in Eternal, I'd feel really really happy about this. It's like, even if this was, you know, if this was like on a, a two one or whatever, and it could pay three to give another unit, you know, plus two, plus two in endurance this turn, even if you had to exhaust the unit, I'd feel much more positive about it, I think. But it basically says all of your units have the ability to give themselves plus two, plus two in endurance. Yeah, I don't know. At it's the cost just, of a card, of course. I feel like I'm probably going to move up, and you're probably going to move down a little bit on this, but we'll see. All right, so next one, I feel um, this is this is just on theme. This is just on theme. Any random, any random battle ability, really, is we're going to so differ on. We've we've talked about this card before, Steely Stranger. I gave this a seven, and you gave this a four. Uh, I think I'm already moving down to a 6 on it, but I'm not going lower than that. Okay. This is the 2 Justice 1-3 Stranger. When one or more strangers attack, the top unit of your owner's deck gets a random battle skill. This has to be better than a 4, right? This just has to be an av- at least an average playable. You always put it in your deck card. No, I guess so. Uh, it's just not, I mean, it's not how I feel about it, but I could be wrong. Uh, I think it's a 1-3 for 2. And its ability will have almost no effect on the game. Oh, That's how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to. I don't know how to explain it anymore. It's not that bad. I don't. I like. It's not bad, but I'm not going to put it in my deck most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. It blocks any stranger that's attacking sure, you. Sure. It can attack into any stranger. Get yourself a random battle skill. No, I agree. Six, seven was too high. I was a little. I got a little too excited. I mean, but. it's fine to be excited about card, but but definitely, like this is a thing where where there's definitely a theme, uh, where the random battle skill thing, and I could very well be underestimating random battle skills. It's possible that I haven't played with in a format where where units getting random battle skills was a huge thing, and so I'm just underestimating the whole concept of it. It it doesn't seem uh, powerful for to me, but yeah, I guess I just think of it a, a lot like war cry especially when you start doubling or tripling up sure you know you just get these units that aren't really possible and can pose all sorts of problems and once you start doubling or tripling up you're just so much more likely to have a really hard to deal with battle skill on a unit and that's and that will happen a lot because you'll you'll have a couple of draws in a row where you don't draw the unit that is that's accumulating battle skills. So it might end up coming out as an unholy terror. So yeah, that'll happen sometimes for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, okay. It, this is probably just a five. I guess if I think about like the two cost one three that had Warcry, that was just it was a fine card. It was okay, but you, you, I would end up cutting that card a lot from my draft decks. Because yeah. it, it might only get one attack in, and then it dies, you know? Like, it yeah. does a fine job at like at blocking 2-2s, two and then attacking into a 2-2, two two, and then it's done for the whole game. Yes, but this does have the advantage of 
sort of giving your other units, your other strangers war cry to yeah, for sure. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, that's that's where we are at that. Though speaking of random battle skills, this is a bit of a switcheroo here. Touch of Purity, which is the um, the two justice fast spell. Give one of your units life steal, then give a unit weapon or spell in your hand life steal. So you gave this a five, and I gave this a three. Yeah, I probably we probably don't need to talk about this one. It's probably more like a four. I can't remember why I I gave this a five. Honestly, <laughs> this just is another one of these like do nothing cards where there's a couple of these like the time one that gives deadly has a major effect on the board, but just life steal just doesn't have quite enough of an effect for it to be a full card in my view. I think people sometimes underestimate gaining life in limited because uh, you can put your opponent under so much pressure through tempo that being able to offset that uh, can sometimes be really, really good. Uh, but that's usually if it's on a card that that does something else as well. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't. There's no need for me to have put this as a five. This may just be. I can't justify it. All right, then the next card we had a disagreement on is Zoltan Arbalist, which is the four Justice Justice, uh, one four Relic Weapon with Warcry, Summon, plus two attack this turn, Fate, you gain one armor. I feel like I can justify this because it's a four cost three four Relic Weapon with Warcry on its first turn. That's just good stats. Yes. Yeah, that is definitely good stats. Um, and it does have Warcry. It does become a... And, and it's often a 3-5 a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does just have one attack on its next turn. I always feel there's just like a ceiling to these three attack relic weapons, no matter how much armor they have. And so that's why I didn't really want to go up to say like a seven and kind of i think this is a fine card maybe it's a good card and it's like a maybe i would maybe i would probably move up to a six on it i could be convinced of that Hmm. but i just feel like there's a limit you know like the closest analogy i think in set five there was that weapon it was like a one five and on summon gained three attack for the turn so like on summon you could hit for four and that was sort of, it just like went above this like breaking point where people, you you know, it just did enough damage that it took out a, a just a larger swath of units. And the fact that this still is stuck at three and there's other three attack weapons in the format just means it doesn't like move up to like a good good great card to me i think the fact that it costs one less than those other weapons and has Warcry really boosts it for me yeah i can see that i i'm probably too low on the card it kills brood of aramot and that's what i want it to kill most of the time <laughs> yeah though they probably have another one which which just then trades for the rest of the armor that's true uh, <laughs> then you have to maybe you get maybe you peg their their humbug swarm or their skeletal dragon then or something but yeah. uh, maybe not maybe you only kill one thing and you get a war cry off of your removal spell which is still good yeah you're right you're probably right and I'm I'm probably too low on the card it's definitely I, a good card 
which I guess would make it a seven. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like it right now, but also I haven't played with it. I just like its stats. Then we're moving on to Primal. And so the first card we had a disagreement of was Biting Winds, which was the three Primal fast spell deal six damage to an attacking enemy unit. I gave this an eight. You gave it a six. There's probably not too much to say about no, this. No, not really. Uh, it, it it all comes down to like how good it is as an efficient, like you know, like what how the numbers actually stack up in the format. Like if doing six damage to something for three actually is worth it, or if you're usually going to be spending three to kill something smaller, but only when it attacks. Um, I feel I, I like I don't like it as much as uh, as lightning strike. Is that the name of the card? Yes, that the the two primal deal four. Yeah, that feels like a much better card to me, just because how often are you actually going to need six damage? Hmm. I guess that's interesting because I kind of had the opposite reaction where I thought that I like this slightly more than lightning strike, because lightning strike is a good card, but sometimes they attack you with a five health unit. And you really wish Lightning Strike did a little bit more. And I just feel like I'm willing to to pay the one extra power to kill effectively everything. Yeah. Yeah, that makes Uh, sense. And that's what I mean about how it stacks up against the things that you're likely to want to kill with it. Um, And I I haven't really, like, done a breakdown in my head about um, how much health things tend to have when they're attacking me. And I yes. want to be able to kill them cleanly. And I also value card like the cost efficiency on cards pretty highly, uh, just because of sort of you know tempo concerns. Because uh, yeah. both biting winds and lightning strike are 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 cards that you have to leave up power for, which means if your opponent doesn't attack, then you're wasting power that you could have spent on something. And and having it, one of those cards cost three instead of two is a real thing. Um, but I don't know without a lot more experience how good this card is uh, precisely because the difference, like, um, I don't know how often I'm going to need to kill something yeah. that big and whether it justifies spending three on it. Uh, it could very well be a card that I take a lot higher than I'm taking it now. Yeah, yeah, because what's interesting with the holding up power thing for me, though, is, like, if they have a six health unit that you really want to kill and they don't attack with it because you held up three power, I feel pretty good in that exchange. It's like you spent three power and zero cards to gain five health or something. Yeah, it's good as long as you don't need to do anything else with that power. Like if you're in a situation where you can't develop your board because they've got a threat out there that you're waiting to kill and then they don't attack with it because they're a good player and they sniffed out your biting winds and they've got another plan, um, then then that's a bad situation for you. But clearly it's a powerful removal spell. So um, a lot of times that's going to be a justifiable play. All right. Next card, Forlorn Griffin. Um, this is the three primal one three flying. When you play a relic, you gain an Aegis. I yeah. give this a five. You gave this a three. I kind of agree with you, actually. Yeah, it's just tiny. Yeah, it's too tiny. I think I just assumed it was too primal. I think maybe that was my problem. Yeah. <laughs> my problem. It seems like it should be, doesn't it? Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's a fine card. But I think for three cost, 
I was never really impressed with the the muster. Give yourself an Aegis one one flyer. I just yeah, and that had an extra ability on top of uh, on top of it. It didn't, and it was only cost one. You know, like this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Giving yourself an Aegis is just not that great of a thing, and then having it do it conditionally. So I guess that makes it more of a three than a five. All right. So then the next card is Plagued Griffin. So another Griffin. Yeah. This one you're higher on. I am. Um, so this is the four primal primal one five flying summon play electropy on an enemy unit corrupted six. You gave this a seven and I gave this a five. Yeah. Uh, electropy is the curse. Th- um, it curses your opponent's units so that at the end of their turn, it, uh, the, the unit does one damage to them. So that's all it does. It's not a good card on its own, obviously, Electropy. Uh, it's, uh, the question is whether it's good on a, on a flying stick. I, my experience with this card is that it's excellent. So um, it's, uh, it's a 4-power 1-5 flyer, which is playable, as we know from other cards that have those exact stats. Yes. And what's better than a 1-5 flyer that blocks really well than one that slowly kills your opponent? <laughs> because, the pre- because practically what happens with this is that they can't get rid of their unit. Because when they attack, you block with the Plague Griffin, and you, it, the Plague Griffin doesn't kill it, because it only has one attack. And so the unit just slowly murders them, and your opponent is forced to do something about it. But, but it's a good unit on its own as a 1-5 flyer, so that ends up being an excellent card. I'll, I can move up to a 6 on this. I was okay. thinking of it as a Tower Top Patrol, yeah, um, which I would put in the 5-6 to six range. Yeah, personally, but I I do see the upside of the electropy, and I guess I wasn't really considering the fact that you immediately. I was almost thinking of it as a mastery. I think maybe that was part of my problem, where I was like, mm-hmm. where you yeah. didn't always immediately get it, but this is a summon, so they it is. So this turn you play it, starting to sort of do damage to them. It's also worth saying that this is another thing about how I'm. I, I think in general, corrupted units are going to be very good because when this dies, it sticks around forever, still being an effective blocker. That's very interesting too. I, I like that. Yeah. So this is probably better than I'm giving it credit for. There's also I need to mention this combo because uh, this is like the secret tech mm. that uh, that anyone listening to the podcast should know about. So there's a primal common that is a relic. It's a cursed relic. It costs five, and it says whenever a unit um, does damage to your opponent, you draw a card. Uh, obviously, when you attack with flyers or just any unit that, that makes contact, you draw a card. But Electropy damages your opponent on your opponent's turn, and the unit does the damage. So that also draws a card off the relic. So if you play played Griffin and then play the cursed relic on them that draws you cards the next turn the their that electropy curse will draw you a card and then on your turn you can attack with a plague griffin and draw another card they work extraordinarily well together so if you're playing the most annoying slow deck in the world or if you <laughs> want to play the most annoying slow deck in the world it's worth knowing that those those two cards are are a combo a draft combo nice all right <laughs> so we're, we're moving on to shadow the First card is Contaminating Ritual, which is the one shadow fast spell. 
Give one of your units plus one attack, flying, and lifesteal at the end of your turn. Sacrifice it. I gave this a five. You gave this a three. I guess I was just thinking, like, in a deck where you had a bunch of exalted units and there's a lot of set seven cards left around, you'd play one of these. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good with exalted units. Probably not a five. I guess I was just thinking that I was thinking that I could imagine a lot of decks where I'd want one copy of this, but maybe that's probably thinking too highly of the card. It's very situational, and it really needs other synergies to be effective. Yeah, I do think it needs other synergies, or I can imagine in a very aggressive deck having using this as reach, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. just sort of throw your last unit at them. But that's sort of a corner case. Usually you don't want to uh, build card disadvantage into your deck. But yeah, of course it's good with Exalted. Not like amazing with Exalted, because uh, you can also just keep your Exalted unit around and make blocks hard for your opponent. But uh, it works with Exalted for sure. Great with Immortalize. Yes. <laughs> Great no. with Immortalize. <laughs> Is this the <laughs> card that you won't say that about? <laughs> it's fine with immortalize yeah it seems fine well puts I mean, the card in your graveyard and gives it a bunch of extra yeah support. any yeah of course and uh, yeah and giving a giving a unit a whole bunch of like battle skills before you you give it a, uh before you sacrifice it if it has exalted then all of that transfers over and then it's permanent on the new unit so it's great with exalted for sure i think it's very heavily uh dependent on how many exalted units you have in your deck so i i'm starting it as a three because uh I don't know how often that's going to happen, basically. I, I'll go down on that one. All right, Urgent Missive. I can't really defend this one. I, I don't really know. I just want it to be good. <laughs> so so it's, it's not a good rating. Fast, one Shadow Fast Spell. Sacrifice a unit to play two 1-1 one, one Cultists. You gave us a four, and I gave us a two. So neither of us think this is a great card. Yeah, and paradoxically, I think that I graded it a four maybe because uh, it's 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 a good card with Exalted. It's not as good as uh, Contaminating Ritual, but anything that can sacrifice a unit at, at uh, fast speed, I tend to like because it makes combat steps really difficult for your opponent if you have an Exalted unit. But that's such a, um, that's such a specific case. There's no reason for me to really rate it higher than a three. Yeah, I just the payoff is so little. I just yeah, yeah, and, cult, and cultists aren't really a thing in this format. So the fact that they're cultists doesn't really matter. So I don't know. I was just sort of being optimistic there. There's no, I can't defend it. Uh, next is Touch of Resilience, where we sort of switched this one. Where I was a bunch higher. This is the two shadow. Give one of your units revenge, then give a unit weapon or spell in your hand revenge fast spell. Uh-huh. And I gave this an 8, and you gave this a 5. I'm probably overvaluing this, but just revenge is such a powerful keyword that this it has is. to be good, I feel like. I mean, it's it's this is potentially like very similar to a draw 2. It is. You can't control when, uh, re- when revenge happens. No. Uh, but if your if your uh, if your game goes on long enough, then it'll certainly be a lot of value. So yeah, it might be a it might be a draw two. It's like a really inconsistent draw two, basically. It is a really inconsistent draw two, but um, I could be underestimating it. I just uh, it's hard for me to think of a of like 
a situation where I'm like super happy to have this in my hand. Um, but I maybe I lack imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like the idea of you because it does apply to spells. Uh, I, I like the idea of giving a spell uh, revenge, you know, because I can think of some sometimes when I would want to do that. But it's a little bit weird drawing a spell with revenge because then maybe you don't want to cast it right then and you have to. Yeah, that's the difference. I think just with units, it's just like so. I just think of any unit that has revenge just makes the unit so much better. I don't know. Sure. And um, being able to do that to any unit at fast speed. Yeah. Just and it's, like... It is better than a draw two in the sense that you don't have to pay for the unit the second time when you draw it. It just, it just, it just happens. Yeah. Uh, and so there's certainly, there's certainly units that, you know, that have come into play effects and that kind of thing that um, this would be very effective on. So I could be underestimating it. I cut it from a, de- um, from a deck recently because it just wasn't as strong as the other cards and uh so maybe that recent experience has has soured me on it but mm-hmm. um i don't know yeah i guess i just and there's a bunch of be, powerful it should be fun to play, play with anyway yeah and there's a bunch of powerful come into play effects i don't know that's all leading me to think this is a pretty good card we differed uh-huh. on it wi- widely but i i don't mind that all right, next is Felrock's Infiltrator. We talked about this. Yeah. I gave it a six. You gave it a four. They, it, I gave they, it a four, but I put it in my top three for Shadow. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But I, I think that just means we're probably close. I'm probably a little higher on it than you, but you don't... I don't know if you view it as a four, but maybe you do. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's just all of the rectifiers running around that turn this into a one-one for three. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's not that's not really fair. Uh, it's not really a fair way to evaluate cards, of course. Yeah, um, but I feel like it's most of them, especially with how bad shadows commons are. If you're in shadow, it's probably making your deck. I guess I I can. <laughs> I'm always gonna want to cut this though. Oh, uh, yeah, not me. I'm not always going to play one. Oh, well, I don't know if always. We'll see as the format develops. But currently, my feeling is I will want to play one. Yeah. We'll see if the versatility outweighs the fact that um, it's overcosted for, for all of its individual abilities. Next, and this uh, continues a debate we had earlier, Triumphant yeah. Return, the three shadow draw unit from your void. It gets plus two, plus two. I gave this a four. You gave this a seven. Yeah, I do really like it, but we already had this discussion. I could probably come down to a six on it, but um, but I, I definitely am, am. Obviously, it buffs the unit bigger, but there's only so much I want to pay for for this effect. You know, cards are a lot worse when you add three to their cost. So um, even if they get a little bigger, then uh, Myster- mysterious waystone. That's uh, five shadow shadow. At the end of the cursed player's turn, deal one damage to them and gain one life. When you sacrifice a unit, increase this ability by one, and it's a cursed relic. I gave this a two. You gave this a four. Yeah, I mean, I uh, like. There's not a lot I can say about this except that uh, it 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 is it does eventually. It is sort of a, a form of reach in the sense that, like, after you've 
after you've reached some sort of parity on board, um, it will eventually win the game. And because of corrupted units, there's more sacrifice uh, effects in the format than it seems at, at first. You don't have to have like a dedicated sacrifice card in order to have sacrifice effects. And once you have sacrificed one unit, then this is a drain for two each turn, which is actually quite significant. It puts your opponent under a lot of pressure. I know it doesn't have any effect on the board itself, but it also activates like relic synergy in this format. So this is an optimistic rating for me, this four. Um, I, but I think it, it might end up actually being a playable card. We'll see. Yeah, I want this card to be a four. That's yeah. all I'll yeah. say. And like you mentioned, you know, it's easy, I think, sort of like I did to dismiss this card because its initial effect is so small, but the fact that this keeps increasing, if you sacrifice one or two units, even if you don't have a lot going on, your opponent just has to, you know, like, might not even be able to keep up with the life gain. Yeah, like even if your opponent is like attacking you in the air with a 3 3 dragon. Uh, once you've sacrificed two units, then the waystone is racing that. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like a flying unit that can't be stopped. It's kind of neat. Yes. But of course, I mean, it's a five power do nothing at first. So uh, it, it you have to you have to really know what you're doing if you build a deck around it. I think. And then uh, sort of a similar card, I think, in some ways, the six shadow. Uh, our next card we disagree on is dark betrayal. That's a six shadow. Choose a unit in the enemy player's hand to steal and play it. It gets charged. Sacrifice it at the end of the turn. You may exhaust a unit to play Dark Betrayal for two less. I gave this a two. You gave this a four. Yeah, again, I'm being optimistic because I want it to be playable. Uh, it is a one-for-one, one, you know? It's not card disadvantage unless you top-deck it and your opponent doesn't have anything in their hand, in which case it's terrible. Um, it takes their best unit. If it has Exalted, then you get the weapon off of the Exalted. Like, there's a lot of cases where this is good, but I don't think... Um, I, again, I'm being optimistic, and I'm just sort of hoping that this ends up being a playable card. I know it's an irritating card. I know if somebody Dark Betrayals you and they get something good out of your hand, you're frustrated. So it has value in that sense. <laughs> yeah. But I think... But how often is it actually going to be good? Nah, I don't know. Yeah. I would much rather play Mysterious Waystone. I, this yeah. card is just even more situational. Um, sure. I could see myself moving up on Mysterious Waystone. I feel like I'm never playing Dark Betrayal. Yeah, There's sure. just too much of an opportunity cost of this whiffing, and then you feeling really bad. If you pay six, it's horrible. But even if you pay four and exhaust a unit, and then you whiff, not nah, you're not feeling great. Yeah, and that's the fact totally fair. That this only hits like one card type, you know, I don't know. It's just very, very situational. Yeah. Also, I think it's a little overcosted, So um, that probably should make it so that I just don't uh, so that I have it in the totally unplayable category because four for that effect is still pretty bad. All right. Then the next card that we have a disagreement on, we're moving into the multi-faction cards is Keeper Shield. This is the three Rakano three one weapon. Spellcraft 3, play Reinforce. You gave this a 7, and I gave this a 5. Yeah, I think this goes with the theme that I'm I'm just generally rating Relic Weapons a little bit higher. Yes, and maybe more optimistic on these, like, return synergies and stuff like that, yeah. where I just, I'm viewing it sort of just on its base as a fine weapon. Um, 
and not really believing in this, like how often I'm returning this just yet. All right, next is Premature Burial, which is the six stone scar spell. The enemy player chooses two of their units to save, then sacrifice the rest. I gave this a three. You gave this a five. Yeah. Um, so I started out when I first saw this card thinking that it was more like a two or a three. And then I started thinking about the actual situations that I, t- I tend to be in uh, once I reach six power in a typical draft game. And then it started seeming very good because even though the unit, the opponent gets to choose which units they keep, they often have to sacrifice most of their board in that situation because mm-hmm. they'll often have like five or six units out. And that is, is probably enough just raw card advantage that um, it ends up being really good. I might be overestimating it at this point for sure, but I think uh, as as bad as uh, give your opponent the choice cards tend to be, um, I think there's going to generally be some situations in a typical draft game where this is really strong at the point where you need something, an effect like this. I feel like I say this each time. I probably I could be wrong about all of this, <laughs> but I might be being optimistic about it. Uh, but I think it's a powerful enough effect that even though your opponent opponent gets a choice, that it'll still um, be worth having in certain types of decks. So that really sounds more like a four, doesn't it? Um, so it's probably more like a four. I'm gonna have to lose to this a bunch of times before I put it in a deck. So that's what that's why I gave it the great. I think that's reasonable. I think I think it's reasonable to lose to it a bunch of times before giving it any sort of credence. The next card, this continues our theme of you being a lot more optimistic about these things, is yeah. a Dying Sun Tapestry, which is the six Huru relic. When you play a curse and a relic in the same turn, playing Dying Sun Tapestry from your hand for for free at the end of your turn give one of your exhausted units plus one plus one in overwhelm you gave this a four and i gave this a two so neither of us particularly like it you just like it i don't know it's funny that i it's funny that i like these do nothing relics now because (laughs) uh normally i don't but maybe i'm just i'm just getting old and cranky and i want to play with relics i don't want my cards I i don't want my cards to do things anymore I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I I just this seems even harder to trigger than muster to get. Yeah, it, it certainly free. does. Well, there don't seem to be a lot of curses running around uh and certainly not like cheap relics that you can play along with curses. Maybe there's some card that does both and that this combos with really well, but yeah, I don't know what that is. So, I I don't know. I just like there it's it's just a sort of a number that I wrote I flailed yeah. my fingers wildly upon the keys and a four came out. Yeah, maybe we're we're probably closer than than the numbers. I don't think we disagree on it or anything. It's just yeah. like don't play it. Just like but if you can find a way to play it and still win, then bless you. It's not actually playable. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, it's that's my problem is it's like it's not even that inch. It's like a cool card, but the, like the effect on it is so... the effect isn't actually that good. <laughs> even yeah. if it costs, even if it costs nothing, it hardly does anything. I know, and the fact that it could possibly cost six is just like it's not. Yeah. fun. I don't. I don't get it. It's like. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad we got to make fun of it. That's why I rated it a four, so we can talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then this one's kind of interesting. This is Reborn Master. 
This is the two Argent Port 2-3 Endurance. Your units with two or more battle skills have plus one attack. I rated this a five and you rated this a seven. I guess I was rating this less in the context of a synergy deck, but more as like a slight a slightly hard to cast two three with yeah. endurance. And that's why I gave it a five. Like it's it's for me it just seems like a fine card. I don't know. I'm not excited to work for giving my other units plus one attack. Oh well, yeah. yeah. I, I was rating it just based on its pure stats. It's a two three for two with endurance. Mm -hmm. uh, that occasionally has a bonus. And then I, w I wasn't rating it based on how hard it is to cast. summon. I'm uh, cast. I just, I'm, yeah. I'm just rating it. If you're in those colors that I'm always playing this thing. Yeah, you're right. I think I could go up to a six on that. I probably yeah. wouldn't go up to a seven because I'm not like excited or snap picking this as like a great common or uncommon, whatever it is. But I yeah, can I see, I can see that. I could come down to a 6-2, sure. All right. Next is Essence Feast. This is the 2 Felm spell. Deal 1 damage to each unit. Lifesteal while the enemy player has 10 or more cards in their void. And Deadly while they have 20 or more. I can't... Uh, I thought that this... Uh, for some reason, I thought this dealt 1 damage to all your opponent's units. And that makes it a completely different card. So my rating doesn't count on this one. <laughs> okay. Because if it deals yeah. one to all units, that's not nearly as good. Yeah, it makes the deadly a lot less exciting, which was never going to happen anyway. Anyway, so I gave it a four, you gave it a six. And even my four, I gave it that because I thought it was a fast spell. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fast spell either. Yeah, we just wanted it to be better than it is. Yeah. I mean, right, sometimes so it will be a wrath, you know, in a mill deck, but I don't even know how good that is because you kind of want to leave some units around in your, yeah, in your well, mill you deck. You want your Wretched Ravens to still yeah. be alive or whatever. Yeah, but like you're going to wrath so and many then you're going to play something? I don't know. In a draft deck, I don't, I don't yeah. see it. All right, and then the final card we had any disagreement on was Rage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was the, the neutral one-cost... Fast spell, give a unit plus one, plus one this turn. And I gave this a one and you gave this a three. So we're probably in agreement on this card. I think we're, I think we can confidently tell our, our listening audience that not to play it if you can help it. <laughs> yes. I, but how I, much, how, how much hatred you feel for rage is up to you. But I would have, I would avoid playing it at all costs. Something went very wrong, or you picked a very late bomb that yeah. caused you to switch colors drastically. In order yeah, you just need you just need filler. Yeah, I think it's not a good card. All right. Well, so that that ends all our disagreements. I think that was uh, interesting. I agree. I, I also I think it was interesting because we cert we had themes to a lot of the disagreements, like most of them. Uh, I'm I'm rating relic weapons higher than you are. You're ra you're rating random battle skills higher than I am, uh, and that could have a lot to do with our different experiences of of previous draft formats. Because I think you've been drafting longer than I have, so you've encountered like random battle skills, uh, and I haven't in a draft format very often. I don't I don't know exactly why <laughs> why, but I I agree that it was kind of interesting to see 
where our preferences sort of led us. And it'll be interesting to sort of revisit this later to see if how things are shaking up as this format develops. But I do think we should end our show here. So once again, a thank you to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There will be a link below in the show description. And finally, give a thumbs up to all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts and a comment. Um, It really helps, I think, promote the show since Reddit is one of the main ways people interact with the game. And then don't forget to send all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks for listening.